Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. As this week we take a look at new releases, uh, what uh, Escape Plan and Captain Phillips and something set in France with some old British actors. James has watched <laughs> that he probably cried during as well as that. We've got um, what we've been watching, a quiz and some news as well. Uh, so, should we kick off with the news? Yeah, uh, let's switch things up a bit. Um, well, the, the only news that I've seen is uh, this week that has been of any importance to me <laughs> is that uh, Tim Burton is taking a gamble on uh, the last remaining vestiges of his credibility, and he is directing, uh, it's pretty much confirmed he is directing Beetlejuice 2, uh, which will also be reuniting him with original star Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton. I'm not sure if Gina Davis, Alec Baldwin and Winona Ryder fit into this anywhere. Um, uh, part of me thinks he's just he's got no ideas left. He's literally got no ideas left. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if Johnny Depp turns up in this also as like Beetlejuice's mate or something like that. Um and another part of me does think that it that was a film I loved as a youngster. I grew up on it. It is a brilliant film. It's the original film, fantastically inventive, very funny, quite dark in places. Brilliant performance by Michael Keaton. Part of me wants to see more Michael Keaton on screen. I really, really like him. So part of me, probably the foolish, naive part of me, thinks, oh, maybe this will actually be quite good. I don't know. What do you guys think of the original film, anyway? Can't ever remember watching it. Bloody youngster. <laughs> I remember liking it, but I, ha- I haven't seen it for years. It's one of no. those films I, when people sort of, myself included, always try and slag off Tim Burton. And I always really say, always say, yeah, but he, he did do Beetlejuice and Big Fish, which were quite good. Mm. And obviously Edward. So it's one of the three yeah. that I usually say, you know, he's done some all right films. But actually, I don't really remember much of it. I do remember Michael Keaton being brilliant in it. That's pretty yeah. much the only memory I have, as well as the shrunken head things. That freaked me I, out as a kid. I remember because in our pub, all around the top, we used to have you know the old bottles of beer and different drinks, and there was a Beetlejuice Alco pop, and I could find the bottle and get a picture to people if they wanted to see what it looks like. It definitely existed. A Beetlejuice, <laughs> Beetlejuice Alcopop type drink. Wow. That you're providing a public service there. Are you, you going to individually send it to everyone who requests? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just send it to you to put on the Twitter account. Oh, I don't know. Okay. But I will find um, it tomorrow. 
I, I can't. That, yeah, I'd like that, that's odd. That is odd marketing. Um, I, I yeah. thought, as a slight tangent, I always thought the best marketing for like a TV program was when they released those Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pizzas. Did anyone have one of those? Oh yeah, yeah. And they released the true. weird like marshmallow pizzas and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That was very cool. Um, I remember uh, my other movie tie, my favourite bit of movie tie and crap um, was a Burger King ghost in a can from uh, Ghostbusters 2. Oh, wow. It was essentially them shifting empty cans. <laughs> but I, I just convinced how to go. And then I opened it and I couldn't sleep for three nights because I thought I'd oh. a ghost. Yeah. It was dark times. No. Brilliant. <laughs> so that's the news. Yeah. Went all Peter K then for a minute, didn't I? Yeah. Remember? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember things? Yeah. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. As this week we take a look at new releases, uh, what uh, Escape Plan and Captain Phillips and something set in France with some old British actors <laughs> James has watched <laughs> that he probably cried during as well as that. We've got um, what we've been watching, a quiz and some news as well. Uh, so, should we kick off with the news? Yeah, uh, let's switch things up a bit. Um, well, the, the only news that I've seen is uh, this week that has been of any importance to me <laughs> is that uh, Tim Burton is taking a gamble on uh, the last remaining vestiges of his credibility, and he is directing, uh, it's pretty much confirmed he is directing Beetlejuice 2, uh, which will also be reuniting him with original star of Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton. I'm not sure if Gina Davis, Alec Baldwin and Winona Ryder fit into this anywhere. Um, uh, part of me thinks he's just he's got no ideas left. He's literally got no ideas left. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if Johnny Depp turns up in this also as like Beetlejuice's mate or something like that. Um and another part of me does think that it that was a film I loved as a youngster. I grew up on it. It is a brilliant film. It's the original film, fantastically inventive, very funny, quite dark in places. Brilliant performance by Michael Keaton. Part of me wants to see more Michael Keaton on screen. I really, really like him. So part of me, probably the foolish, naive part of me, thinks, oh, maybe this will actually be quite good. I don't know. What do you guys think of the original film, anyway? Can't ever remember watching it. Bloody youngster. <laughs> I remember liking it, but I, ha- I haven't seen it for years. It's one of no. those films I, when people sort of, myself included, always try and slag off Tim Burton, and I always really say, always say, yeah, but he, he did do Beetlejuice and Big Fish, which were quite good, mm. and obviously Edward. So it's one of the three yeah. that I usually say, you know, he's done some alright films. But actually, I don't really remember much of it. I do remember Michael Keaton being brilliant in it. That's pretty yeah. much the only memory I have, as well as the shrunken head things. That freaked me I, out as a kid. I remember, because in our pub, all around the top, we used to have you know the old bottles of beer and different drinks. 
and there was a Beetlejuice Alco Pop, and I could find the bottle and get a picture to people if they wanted to see what it looks like. It definitely existed. A Beetlejuice, <laughs> a Beetlejuice Alco Pop type drink. Wow. That's amazing. That you're providing a public service there. Are you, you going to individually send it to everyone who requests? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just send it to you to put on the Twitter account. Oh, I don't know. Okay. But I will find um, it tomorrow. I, I can't. That, yeah, I'd like. That's odd. That is odd marketing. Um, I always, I always yeah. thought, as a slight tangent, I always thought the best marketing for like a TV program was when they released those Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pizzas. Did anyone have one of those? Oh yeah, yeah. And they released the true. weird like marshmallow pizzas and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That was very cool. Um, I remember uh, my other movie tie. My favourite bit of movie tie-in crap um, was a Burger King ghost in a can from uh, Ghostbusters 2. Oh, wow. It was essentially them shifting empty cans. <laughs> but I, I just convinced how to go. And then I opened it, and I couldn't sleep for three nights because I thought uh, I'd least a ghost. Yeah. It was dark times. Brilliant. <laughs> so that's the news. Yeah. Went all Peter K then for a minute, didn't I? Yeah. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember things? Yeah. Oh, things. Yeah. Oh, bloody, bloody things. Well, I say the 80s, it's probably the 90s for you, isn't it, Steve? Bloody northern things from the 80s. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, quiz time. Owen is winning 2-1, apparently. I've won. one. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm going to start off with this actress in 1979, Apocalypse Now. Owen. Yes, Martin Sheen. No. It's oh, a good guess, though. No. <laughs> Well, it's not a good guess because it was wrong. <laughs> All right, it's a fair point. Yeah, it in. 1982, Death Wish 2. Hmm. 1985, The Color Purple. 1987, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. So I've seen all of these films mentioned so far. No, I haven't seen The Call of Purple. I've seen the other, t- other three. Mm. I've no idea who this is, though. 1990, King of New York. Oh, my God. 1991, Boys in the Hood. You lost me now. I'm, oh, I'm desperately racking my brain. 1993, Searching for Bobby Fischer. These are getting more and more obscure. See, and the the other thing is as well. Now that he said "Boys in the Hood," right? What we're thinking, right? Okay, black actors. But the moment we say one and it's wrong, it's going to sound really racist because all we've done <laughs> is think of a black actor. I'm I'm th- I'm just I'm just preparing us for that moment, Owen. Yeah. For that embarrassing moment. 1997, Event Horizon. James. Yes, James. Lawrence Fishburne. It is Lawrence oh. Fishburne. Yes. <laughs> I had no idea he was in any of those other films. Oh, yeah, of course. He's in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He's, um, oh. yeah, I remember that. And he's, he's the young kid in Apocalypse Now. It's really weird watching him ah. now because he's a skinny young kid. Whereas he's if you watch grown. him in Man of Steel, he's grown a bit, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah he's a, he's a <laughs> topic. in Apocalypse Now. Uh, he oh. changed his name a lot. He was first credited as Lawrence Fishburne the Third, or three, whichever. And then Larry Fishburne. That's, yeah, that's actually <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne 3. <laughs> or I, I, I. Yeah. 
Uh, and then Larry Fishburne, he, he was credited for a little bit as well. Oh. Before setting on just Lawrence Fishburne. Obviously, that... in the Matrix trilogy, most famously. Yes. Is, is that the DVD you took inspiration from then, Steve? No, I, I could see a copy of the Matrix. Uh, okay, yeah. Oh, nice. Um, that set up a, a winner-takes-all showdown. I've pulled it back from 2-0 yeah. down. Oh, it crumbling under pressure. We tired. Next week. What happens if you What happens if you two don't get it the next three weeks in a row? Do I, is it winner stays on then? Uh, yeah, but less. Have you? Have we ever not got it? I think there was one or two times. Yeah. 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 It's, it's quite a rarity, but keep going until we get to just the really popular films. There. We... <laughs> but yes. Okay. Oh well, that's exciting. See the quiz now. This. Now there's something on riding on it. It's become a dramatic and passionate thing. Mm. <laughs> you can tell from Owen's reaction. Yeah, gutted. <laughs> I've lost it. I genuinely did a Tim, Tim Edmund fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> Just on my own in the living room. Yes! <laughs> means a lot to me. Yeah. Great. Anyway, <laughs> after the break, we will have what we've been watching. Okay, so what we've been watching then, a little look at the films that aren't new releases but some of us have watched this week. Uh, Owen, why don't you kick us off? Uh, yeah, okay. I watched this week, um, well, I was basically looking around on Netflix for horror films I've not seen before because I think it's getting closer to Halloween. There doesn't seem to be an awful lot coming out in the cinema, so I thought I'd just check out something I've not seen before. And I happened to notice that the latest Texas Chainsaw films on there, Texas Chainsaw 3D, which was um, only released in cinemas this year, actually. So, I assume you watched it in 2D, though. I only watched it in 2D, yes. Yeah. I watched it on my little <laughs> laptop um, in 2D. But it was... Okay, first of all, right, there was already been a remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out in the early 2000s, which wasn't too bad. It was pretty bad, but it wasn't the worst film I've ever seen. Um, but the original is just a fantastic horror film. I think we've talked about it quite a lot before, um, so I'm not going to go over it all going too much. But just to say, it's a really affecting, properly scary horror film, the original. The remake, okay, is a direct sequel to that original 1974 horror film. Completely ignores everything else that's been... Between all the sequels that have happened, all the sort of Leatherface sequels, all the remakes, including the remake and its sequel, it goes back to the fact that in 1974, there was a massacre of this family, the Sawyer family. Um, and now it's in whatever year it is, 2013, 2012, I guess. And there's this girl who's going on a road trip. Um, she was adopted. And it turns out that she has inherited a house that belonged to the Sawyer family. She gets a note from her dead grandma saying that she can either keep the house and live in it um, or she gets nothing. So she can't sell the house. She can't get rid of it. It's hers. And she decides with her group of teenage friends who are all drunk and have picked up a randomer on the way there, picked up a hitchhiker, that they decide they're going to stay in the house. And I think we all know where this is going. When it's when a, is picking up a hitchhiker ever been good in a film ever? Oh, it is the most cliched way of picking up a yeah. bad guy, isn't it? 
But from, um, from from there's something about Mary to this film, it never pans out yeah. well for anyone. To the film The Hitchhiker well, with Rutger Hauer, which is incredible. Yeah, but to the original not, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, exactly. Just really not recommended. Yeah, <laughs> so I think I can I kind of forgive it that much because it's sort of, I suppose, an ode to the original mm. film where it does that, but it's still pretty lame. Um, so yeah, I mean that's basically the premise of the film. What happens from then on is we, it turns into a really typical slasher film. You've got um, bent cops, you've got uh, weird townsfolk all all hate the Sawyer family and everything to do with the Sawyer family. You've got a really stupid and obvious twist that you see coming from an absolute mile away, um, and the, some of it is just nonsensical. But she does she gets a note from a solicitor which she, which is told. To, you know, she's explicitly told, this is from your grandma, make sure you read this note, it's about the house. And you go, okay, well that obviously means there's something going on in the house. Presumably Leatherface is still in the house somewhere. She obviously, being a horror film, doesn't read the note. And what happens is she inherits a house with a guy in the basement. So... <laughs> It's just the was most, he part of the survey? He's part, he, did, did some... he's part of the deeds. Yeah, she gets this guy in the basement as part of the deeds. It is just absolutely stupid. Um, the characters in it are all extremely annoying and stupid to the point that you, you're just so frustrated watching it. With horror films, okay, there's an example with um, Grave Encounters, okay, which is a famed footage horror film where people are making... St- stupid choices, making really idiotic decisions. But you forgive them that because you realise, okay, so the point of this film isn't to just be a realistic film. It's to show, you know, the characters are doing stupid things so something interesting actually happens, you know. But the the point of Grave Encounters is it's shot as a documentary. So if they all acted like real people, there would be no film because they Mm. wouldn't stay in this mental asylum. They would just go, shit, that's something freaky. Let's get out of here. Whereas with this, it's not. It's the, the people are genuinely being stupid so that you've got something to to, to gawp at, I suppose. There's, there's people dressed in very scantily clad clothes and they're just walking around like it's nothing. And you think, OK, so first of all, if she walked around this little hick town in America wearing practically nothing, that would raise a bit of suspicion anyway. She wouldn't probably get away with that. You know, there would be all kinds of loutish behaviour from all the folks in the town. Secondly, the, the the blokes in it are just utter knobheads. Really, oh God, I hated them all. Absolutely everything about the characters. The dialogue is atrocious in it. The only saving grace that it has is some of the gore is okay. Now, some of the, the more, some of the kills, although they're not particularly inventive, it is pretty much Leatherface being Leatherface. And, you know, Ultimately, from a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, forget how brilliant the original <coughs> film is. From all the sequels and the remake, that's basically all that, that's worth watching them for, is you watch a psychopath in a mask made from human skin going around with a chainsaw trying to kill people. And so in that respect, it kind of delivers. The story does it does kind of make sense in so much as it's following on from the events of the first film. And if you believe what happened in that, then... It, at least the very start of this film kind of makes sense in so much as it flows together quite nicely but it just gets absolutely just ridiculous the more it goes on I think there were six writers 
six, you know, three people who wrote the story, three people who sort of wrote the, the screenplay, and then you had someone else giving input as well, and it just turns it into this convoluted mess. And, yeah, so basically what it boils down to is I was a bit disappointed with it, to be honest. I wasn't expecting a lot to begin with, but I thought, you know, just a cheesy slasher film, and it'll be all right, won't it, surely? But no, it's, it's pretty terrible. Just... If you can't stand stupid American teenagers who do stupid things in a stupid slasher film, then this is just not the film for you. It is awful. Ouch. Mm, really bad. Not one to watch on Halloween. Or any time, for that matter. <laughs> and from one film never to watch again, is another film to never watch again. <coughs> Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I watched, Here we go. <laughs> I watched it on ITV this weekend in a hangover after going out for my birthday. I couldn't be, once it started, I couldn't be bothered to turn it over and I hadn't watched it as a critic and I thought it deserved that at least. It's just a big mess of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with the originals are some of the most... The, they get voted as some of the best films, and they are my favourite films. They're obviously not the best films, but they're probably some of the most fun films you'll ever watch. And, you know, the characters are generally quite good as well. In the prequels, especially this first one, it's just... There's two major things for me. The plot is pretty rubbish and around a boring subject. I mean, you look at the opening crawl from A New Hope, the first one, it's all about Death Stars and evil dark lords and princesses and space battles and you know for something that can wipe out an entire planet and phantom menace the opening crawl is about trade blockades and sexy and Mm. sanctions yeah essentially like the west wing in space yeah essentially star wars is a kids film and they've made it the most boring thing that kids aren't going to understand there's reading that there's no excitement in reading that opening crawl is there you see a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away, you see, you know, Star Wars Episode 1 of Phantom, and you think, brilliant, and you start reading, you think, bloody hell, trade blockade, mm. really? It's about shooting shit in space. It's about bad guys and swords that light up and decapitate people. It's not about trade bloody federations. And that's, that's the first major problem. The, the plot starts off on a bad note, and it's just a pretty dull subject matter for what is meant to be a fun film um and then the characters don't really get fleshed out there's some of them like obviously anakin and obi-wan kenobi who don't you don't learn anything about them during the film you're just bent to go right i know them from the original films Mm -hmm. so i know everything i need to know about them that's not true because they're obviously younger people they're on their the start of their journey to where you know where you see them in a new hope you need to learn about them you need to know how they've got to where they are what they're doing why they're doing it. and you don't you don't learn anything about them you don't learn anything about the rest of them either you don't learn anything about Qui-Gon Jinn he's in one film um I don't know if they could have kept him for more or if Liam Neeson didn't want to stay around for more than one film but anyway he is really what should be quite an interesting character because obviously he's a Jedi so obviously he's good um but from the little bits of plot that you do hear throughout the film, he's quite often at odds with the Jedi Council. So he's obviously a bit of a, a bit of a rogue, renegade, whatever, a bit of, you know, kicks up his Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it's quite in, 
on the face of it. Does that make Samuel L. Jackson the angry black police chief? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it does. But, you know, it, Qui-Gon Jinn, therefore, is quite an, should be, on the face of it, quite an interesting character. You find out nothing about him other than he's a little bit difficult to people who are in a higher position. Yeah. yeah stuff like that. You, should, you should really find out more about Darth Maul, who is one of the two... There's two good things about this film, really. Darth Maul and the pod race. Everything oh, else yeah. is, is, is crap. Um... I think that's fair enough, mm. Steve, to be honest. Yeah. I don't think anyone's no, going to argue with you. It's, um, yeah, it's really basic kind of characterization 101. But, but that's, uh, that's the worst thing. You're meant to not need... It looks like you're not meant to need any characterization of the characters who are in it from the original films because you're meant to know about them already. And the new ones don't get anything. I mean... And that, that is... That you know, that's not just it. you don't just get that in stock. That is laziness, which you, which you quite often see when people do kind of origin story films because they go, well, the audience are already expecting this. Now, you know, I I disagreed with Owen a little bit about Man of Steel earlier this year, but the again, the one thing that stuck with me about that was that. You, you know what you had was they were going well. These two people, Lois and Clark, are going to end up together, and so they didn't bother to actually put them together in a proper way. And I've gone a little bit off tangent, but I think it you do unfortunately get that with studio systems. With um, with if they're in a bit of a rush and they go well, we haven't got time to. Everyone knows they get together, so let's just get them together. Or everyone knows that uh, Obi Wan Kenobi ends up looking after. Uh, young Anakin, so let's just get them together, you know. And that's that. You're right. I've never not really thought about that before, Steve. But that is a massive issue. And, the fans and, and you should, and you know, there's also there's no. You never get a look into Darth Maul. He hardly has a line in the film. He, I know he's the he, best thing in it, he's, and, and he's really yeah. interesting. You never really get a look into his relationship with um, Darth Darth Sidious, the Emperor. You never really get a look, you know, into how those two work together. He just sort of says. Go and do this. Okay, I'll go and do this. And that—that's pretty much. That's pretty much all he says. Actually, there's one. Yeah, it's pretty much go and do this. And he goes, "Yeah, I'll go and do that." There's not many people on Tatooine. It's probably quite easy. <laughs> and, that, and that's pretty much the length of his lines. That's a great Ray Parks impression. There. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't no, Ray you're... Parks who done the voice, was it? It was. Um, oh no, it wasn't. What's his name? Was... Um, piece of thingy. With a long surname, Sarah Nefronishovich. Yeah, yeah Sarah uh, Yeah, but uh, you, know, you know, I don't, I don't mind the end, the end battle, not the space battle, the battle for Naboo. I don't mind that with all the Gungans except Jar Jar. I look, the Gungans are a good idea because they're a, yeah. obviously a, yeah, in theory, the, the voice is a bit annoying, but in general, it's, it looks quite cool. They're big city underwater. And they're, they're at odds with another civilization that they live on the same planet with, but they have to. That's quite a good idea. Jar Jar's just just crap, just pointless. And then they end up. Surprised you got this far before you mentioned Jar Jar, actually. Well, it's just yeah, quite. No. It's just quite common when there's when there's new things I've noticed about how bad it is. Yeah. Um, and I just think I don't think Anakin being so young and so you know, obviously he's. Well, oh, he's an annoying dick, isn't he? Yeah. He just, Which doesn't help. But it's just sort of like. It's just unbelievable that he gets into these situations that he's in. If they'd made him a teenager or something, it would have been a lot more believable. But it's just sort of he's a he's a kid, and it's just sort of 
He's in a pod race. That's a bit unbelievable. He's in a space battle. That's pretty unbelievable. Even if he is. Yeah, but he's got the force, hasn't yeah. he? Well, yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. A character a little bit older would have been more interesting. Mm. Oh, I agree with you on that. And it's just it's just kind of the way they shoehorn it, like shoehorning in C three PO. You don't need him in the film. You don't need mm. to have made Anakin build him. You don't need him. Now R two D two is worked in in quite a good way. He's a little robot on the ship that gets shot and fixes it. He's worked in quite well. C-3PO yeah. is working terribly. Oh, Darth Vader built him, but doesn't remember him. Yeah. <laughs> when he comes face-to-face with him in the future. It's just, you know, just don't shove things in for the sake of it. C-3PO is not an important character in any film, so you don't need him there. Yeah, but then they couldn't have sold toys of him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Make, yeah, make Darth Vader... Make Darth Maul better. You sell loads more toys of someone with yeah. a twin lightsaber than you will have a but it is, robot. It's that whole Peter K thing, though, isn't it? It's literally George Lucas going, hey, hey, remember C-3PO, hey? Mm. Yeah. yeah. That That's what that is, yeah. I was going to say, Steve, has re-watching Phantom Menace as a critic, as you said, as a critic, has that made you uh, any more or less optimistic about the J.J. Abrams reboot? It's not changed my opinion because it's because it's different people involved. If it was so George Lucas think... involved, I'd probably just give up on it now. Yeah, but so you think... okay, it's, it's different people. Plus, J.J. Abrams has done relatively well with the Star Trek franchise, so you kind of think, well, he knows how. You know, all right, there, there was some plot holes and silly things, especially in the second, you know, Wrath of Khan two, mm. but. Um, <laughs> No one's really come out and derided him massively for what he's done with Star Trek. So no. you kind of think, okay, if if Star Trek fans are getting on board with what he's done there, he probably won't fuck up Star Wars. I mean, all right, it might I not did be see, I, I mean, I, might not I be mean, you say... the original ones, but I don't think they're going to be terrible. They're going to be enjoyable at the least. Mm, okay, fair enough. I mean, the Star Trek fans did. I did see a, a vote that said that. Um, Star Trek Into Darkness is the worst Star Trek film, which is quite harsh considering some of the utter shit. Yeah, they, that's in they were original. just. I I thought it was. I thought it wasn't great, but that's just throwing the toys. Yeah, I liked it. I think we all agreed yeah. it was fun. There were some silly mm. bits in there. Maybe you know we shouldn't have gone with basically recreating the Wrath of Khan for the, pretty much the second half of the film. But you know, yeah, it was still it was still fun. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I, you know, I've said loads of times before, Star Wars isn't really a franchise that does anything for me, but I think he'd probably do okay with the, the new films, yeah. Episode Seven. I I agree with Steve in the sense that yeah, I don't think it, he's certainly not going to concentrate on trade blockades exactly. and things like that. It will be it will be lots of shoot shoot bang bang lens flare uh, lens flare. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I don't think he's going to make it a terrible series of films. I just hope people's expectations are suitably lowered so that what we're hoping for is a good, fun, adventurous sci-fi film, and that's what we should hopefully get. His hardest job is going to be marrying up the old cast, which it seems like he's got on board. I mean, it seems like they've got uh, Mark Hamill, um, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford. It's like they're casting for someone to play Chewie. Uh, yeah, you know, and and that's good, but you've got to marry that up with getting new characters in and telling a new story because having Mark Hamill 
going on massive lightsaber battles is going to look stupid. You can still have Han Solo being all grizzled in space mm. in the Millennium Falcon because he can sit behind a wheel of that. And, but, you know, you've got to yeah. you've got to get that combination right. And they've got to be secondary characters, in effect. Yeah. Um, and you can't... Yeah, no. You know, you've got... If Lando, Lando what's he going to do? If he's going to turn up, give it a read. Not just, oh, look, there's Lando who's in the old films. Give him actual reason to be there or don't have him at all. Yeah. No, no, I think that's a that's a, that's a very very fair point, Steve. Um, yeah, it it is going to be interesting. You know full well it's going to have an amazing trailer, and we're all going to go. Anyone who's a Star Wars fan is going to go, oh my god, at the trailer. But you know, mm. the 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 final film is what's going to be what we're going to need it's, to judge it on. I, I can already see an amazing trailer. It's just the thing. Um, it's just the, what they do with the plot as well. Whether they take yeah. something from this expanded universe, whether they come up with something completely original, or they just borrow a few little things. And uh, yeah, uh, I I hope that someone else. I hope they get someone in to kind of help oversee it and not just leave it up to J.J. Abrams. Mm. Let him concentrate on the film, mm. and they should get in someone a la uh, Joss Whedon, for, you know, doing what he's doing at Marvel. Um, or even, uh, you know, uh, Christopher, not saying, but, you know, how DC have got Christopher Nolan currently overseeing their universe there. I think they need to try and maybe get someone in to oversee the universe a little bit and join it all up. Who would you suggest? I said at the time they should should do everything they can to prize Joss Whedon away from... uh, uh, Marvel simply because yeah he's he's done Firefly he's got that fun sense of adventure that I I, I that's who I'd have to be honest. They'll probably but, give um, that, if they do have that kind of a job they'd probably give it to J.J. Abrams I reckon. They probably will because he has been a showrunner before. Yeah. Um, but I personally I'd like to I'd like to see him concentrate on that that one film because I don't think he's going to ha- I don't think he's going to hang around in the Star Wars universe there's, as well as that, that there's, lot, there's so much you can do with the Star Wars universe I think Disney yeah. plan to do loads with TV programs and spin off films away from the main character and there is loads you could do Sp- yeah. space is a big place <laughs> our, our very own Professor Brian Cox yeah <laughs> I, I would if I could do his kind of accent. I would repeat that in his accent. Yeah. I'm not even gonna try. Oh, shame we haven't got Jerry here. Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, James, that's enough about Star Wars. What did you watch this week? Um, yeah, this week. Um, uh, first off, following on from my recommendation last week uh, about the the new Morrissey live DVD, which I've watched and is fantastic. I did watch a short ten minute film on Vimeo called Viva Morrissey about the really bizarre. Um, uh, well, the, just this really weird thing that he's got a massive Latino fan base, and it's just talking to a load of Mexican Morrissey fans, which is just this really bizarre. It's only a very short fi- um, film. I'll stick it up on Twitter or something later, but it's a really nice little film. But um, no, last week I was away in uh, Brussels at a safer internet forum because my job, um, believe it or not, during the day is around trying to make the internet a safer place for uh, children and people and stuff like that. And so because I've been so busy. I've tried to combine my work and my hobby of fail critics. So I did watch a couple of documentaries that were around the internet, social media and things like that. Very, very quickly, I'm just going to say um, We Are Legion is a very interesting documentary about the rise of Anonymous and Lolzek um, and does provide a bit of a counterpoint to some of the arguments that were put forth in The Fifth Estate about WikiLeaks recently. So that, if you're interested in 
you know how anonymous have come to be about and a, a more balanced view of that kind of counterculture we are legion on netflix is a really good one to watch but the one i really want to talk about is catfish which i think jerry's spoken about on here before and owen you've seen it is that right i picked it as one of my favorite documentaries yeah oh there we go right that's that's a long time ago wasn't it so mm. that was that was about 60 70 episodes ago so um yeah i finally got around to watching it and obviously it's it is an in-depth look into the world of social media and anonymity online and things not necessarily being what they are now i'm not going to i'm not going to sit and ruin the film but i also i'm not going to beat around the bush about the fact that things aren't exactly as they seem because you kind of get that sense from watching the first 15 minutes of the film you go well this would be a really boring film if everything <laughs> goes down the route that we're apparently going down the idea is um there is a is it is he from new york uh the photographer uh nev i can't remember he's from new york so, or yeah. la he's very you know it's very much metropolitan anyway so he's a photographer um and he receives a painting in the post which is a painting of one of his photographs which has been in the newspaper and the painting is from an eight-year-old girl called abby and he strikes up this friendship online with this eight-year-old girl who's a very precocious painting talent and then starts talking to her mum and various uh, other members of her family and his brother uh, Ariel Shulman and his brother's friend Henry Just um, decide to make a film about his relationship uh, as you know, this online friendship he's got with Abby. Um, so the film is it's a very amateur documentary um, and what happens is they just go down this route of uh, looking at this documentary and then things start not quite making sense and there's a bit of a, a road trip and a, a journey, essentially, to find out the truth around a lot of things. Um, it's worth knowing as little about the film as possible before going into it, definitely. Um, and what I found really interesting, I was watching it and there is this, there's a section, and if I just say... The, the section with the farmhouse that's that yeah that's all i'll say and if you've not seen it i'll mean nothing to you but i was watching that and i tweeted last night while i was watching it this this actually felt like a found footage horror film that i could enjoy it was really weird at times some of the tropes and everything were just like that really impending sense of dread you get in a in a good found footage film um and then I found it really interesting because I looked up that the two directors had gone on to <laughs> direct Paranormal mm-hmm. Activity 3 and then Paranormal Activity 4, which yeah. I didn't enjoy so much. Um, but it was because one of the main controversies about Catfish is there is still a question mark over whether or not it's actually a genuine documentary or if it's a, a hoax or at least partially planned. I know Morgan Spurlock, who did... Um, fast food, no, uh, supersize me. Um, he says it's the best fake documentary he's ever seen. Um, a few other people, England manager, then (laughs) (laughs) maybe he stole your copy, Steve. I don't know. Um, yeah, the the, the questions over it all come from the way it's shot, don't they? They say some of the way that some of the sort of things that they managed to capture just wouldn't have been able to do unless it was really. yeah, so you get the impression that there's... And the fact is, 
documentaries do are always through a filter and documentaries aren't completely 100% the truth and you can imagine do you know what if they did discover something and then thought I wish we'd had that on film and went back and filmed mm. it I, I don't I don't necessarily think that is against the code of ethics of documentary makers I, I, I imagine that happens probably a lot more than we would realize and in fact some of my favorite documentaries in the last few years have had more serious kind of uh, searching for Sugarman, for example left out mm. some pretty key facts in there um king of kong which i absolutely loved completely ignores that there were three other people involved in trying to get the best donkey kong score and focuses on the two people which are best for the storyline essentially um so i've got no real problem with that the the problem is is the whole thing actually just a hoax and that's like you say some of it just seems a little bit too convenient at times um but on the other hand it was a documentary I really enjoyed because it you did actually, um, if they were acting, they were very, very good actors. Mm. There's some very interesting people um, in this film. Uh, and the other great part of it is just, it's just really well structured. And it's, it's a really interesting insight into how much we overshare online and um, this the predilection of people to want to... Um, make connections online and maybe um yeah you know, maybe in, enhance things about themselves online yeah you know, it's it it is pro it's one of the first documentaries that really dug down into the social media phenomenon it's from 2010 i haven't seen any of the mtv television series i was going to mention time. yeah <laughs> crap they are, are they cr- they're not they're not very good they basically follow this each one follows the same <laughs> format and it's Somebody's um, talking to someone online. They don't think they who they say they are, and then they go and investigate and find out. Yeah, that's true. And then ask them why have you been lying? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I'll be honest, I've got no interest in any anything MTV generally broadcast. So, uh, but this film itself is it's just a really great. Well, it's quite the other really interesting thing is I'd say it's a really great low budget film, and you'd imagine, you know, it was made by these three amateurs essentially. Um, it, you get this feeling; loads of people know about it and everything like that. Apparently, it will never make a profit because it is subject to so many lawsuits about how um, songs used within the film aren't attributed to their creators. Oh, really? So it's <laughs> it, apparently it has an unrecouped balance of more than eight point five million dollars. Um, because like there is there is a section of the film where there is um you know kind of music being played and it's being taken from YouTube and stuff like that and apparently so many lawsuits have hit them it's still eight and a half million dollars in in the mm. red and it's it's never likely to become profitable um but it's it's definitely a very very interesting film um and so it, it's on Netflix UK. Uh, dead easy to get hold of and if you haven't seen it yet it's one of those that I would say put it nearer the top of your pile because it's not the type of film you want someone telling you all about before you go and watch it so watch it sooner rather than later to avoid anyone spoiling it that's what the whole marketing for that film was about just yeah. don't tell anyone what it's about and then people obviously yeah. get intrigued and go oh I better watch that and then, and then exactly yeah. yeah. but it is true <laughs> the more you know about it the yeah, get which is it. also going to happen with the remake of Old Boy, which is released in a six weeks to 
yeah. two months' time. Yeah. That that again, you can just see it already. Watch this before someone tells you about it. I've already uh, had someone tell me the quite end- clever. Already had someone tell Brilliant. me the ending to Gravity, and that's not even out yet. Oh no! Yeah, I know. Gutted what, about what that. Bastards. What did you do? What did I do? I whinged about it, as every yeah. sane British person would do. I had a bit of a moan. Bastards. But um. It's not even out yet. I can't believe that. Weeks yeah. until it comes out. Who, and who told you? Name and shame them. It was on the Football 365 forum, and they had absolutely no guilt about it, but I can't remember their names. Oh. Yeah. Bunch of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Which is generally oh, a sound forum for people spreading yeah. things in spoilers, oh, no. but it's just that one film I was really annoyed about. But I'm not going to oh. tell you what it is. Good, yeah. thank you. It's, no, thank it's you nothing for... to do with um, Sandra Bullock who dies at the end and she... No, it's nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, do you know, one other thing. Um, just uh, before I go... Because I've, I've got to share this review. I got emailed a review by my brother-in-law from his girlfriend's mum who went to see Filth. And it may... Uh, it's just, it, just imagine this kind of like 60-year-old little Scottish lady. Um, she's lovely. And she went to see Filth and she emailed him. <laughs> And, and I'll, I'll read it out verbatim. I won't do the accent, though. Uh, but she said, going to see filth was a bad idea. I wish I'd stayed at home. I've never been so embarrassed coming out of the <laughs> cinema. I felt as if I'd been watching porn or looking in the window of some lowlife. Can't believe I paid over £6 to see the bloody thing. <laughs> the only reason I went to see it was that Fred McCauley raved about it on his morning radio show. That's the last time I listened to him. Oh. That's, so there you go. So although I raved about filth, there are there are people who. It's not who, for everybody. It's not. It's not for everybody. It's yeah. not for everybody. And uh, I'll kind of talk about that in my main review later on as well. But yeah, it's um, uh, yeah that 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 made me laugh. So uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. yes, that that's me done now though. Okay, uh, so that's it for what we've been watching. Um, there's a bit now that I can't remember that James has oh, remind me to about, and then he's got to um, edit this out. So, yeah, do you know what? Maybe we won't. Maybe we just fly. Um, no, uh, coming up next, I will be talking to our um, correspondent who was down at London Film Festival, Carol Petz. Uh, she's going to be talking to me about the films she watched at London Film Festival and which one she really enjoyed. That's coming up next. Yes, James here. Uh, I'm talking to our, our newest correspondent, our, our roaming, roving reporter, Carol Petz, who was at uh, London Film Festival for us last week. Um, Carol, uh, would you like to say hello to all the people, the, the few, the handful of people listening at home? Hello, 13 people. How are you yes. today? <laughs> Stunningly accurate there. Have uh, you got access to our to our ratings um now uh, carol is on twitter as at the underscore dark phoenix and i don't know out of uh, bravado or foolishness or i don't know if you were drunk you agreed to to write our festival diary because none of us could get down to london yeah. and there you are uh, down there so carol's festival diary from the uh, london film festival is available on failcritics.com brilliant read um and it's, it's quite nice not to just have reviews of films but I, I, I like reading about festivals. Is this 
Is this your first London Film Festival for a start, Carol? No, this is my third. I have I have gradually gone to more events as as uh, my experiences have gone on. This this is the most events I've been to by far. Mm. How, how many how how many did you get to in the end? I think it ends up at eleven. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, and um, any other film festivals you've been to, or is this is this the one for you? No, this this is pretty much the only one. It, it is by far the easiest one to get to, and as a BFI member, uh, I managed to get um, priority tickets for it as well, because otherwise it's extremely difficult to get into these days. Yes, no, I, yeah, I had that experience trying to pick up a few tickets, and it was yeah foolhardy for me to even think I could pick up tickets for a film festival. It's mm-hmm. shocking. Um, so uh, you you've seen uh, you've been to about eleven events over a two week period. Then How, how's this year been a bit different from previous London Film Festivals? Um, well, last year we we had um, a new director take over last year, uh, Claire Stewart, and basically the the main differences that she brought in um, were that she made it shorter. Um, it used to be about three weeks, and now it's under two. Um, I think it works out about 10 or 11, ten or eleven days, and She's also brought in um, different strands, um, so you have kind of genres of film, so love, laugh, dare, uh, cult was another one, there were a few more, um, but also it's expanded out slightly now, whereas it used to be only West End and, and the BFI South Bank, you know, the furthest it went was south of the river. Um, this year I ended up going to Hackney, and uh, I also ended up going to Islington Screen on the Green as well, so it's kind of been expanded out as well. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah, people come and get to see a bit more of London than the inside of a, a, th- a cinema, yeah, essentially, I, which is nice. I would I would struggle to find a reason to visit Hackney otherwise, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that's understandable. So, um, you saw quite a few things. Let's start off with the good stuff, then. What What films really got you wanting to go straight out and tell people that they have to go and see them? I actually got asked for a top three the other day and I don't, and I don't yep. think it's changed from the day after the festival. I think my top film um, at the festival was quite easily 12 Years a Slave, um, okay. which was just absolutely just incredible. Um, secondly, was probably, this is quite a difficult decision, though. secondly was probably Gravity, um, mm-hmm. which was just amazing. Um Incredible use of 3D, which is one of my bugbears. I think 3D is just overused, but when it works, it's incredible. And probably my third choice was Only Lovers Left Alive, which was Jim Jarmusch's new film, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Really, really had a lot more affection for it than I than I thought I would. Great, and and uh, starring Tom Hiddleston, lovely, Tilda Swinton as lovely, well. Lovely, so. Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> yeah, no, fantastic. Well, that, that's great actually, because the, your, your top two films, the two films that I've been very, very excited about uh, since they were announced, and mm-hmm. then um, when they've played a variety of films. I think uh, Gravity opened Venice, and um, Toronto hosted Twelve Years a Slave. Um, so Twelve Years a Slave, then new Steve McQueen film uh, starring. Um, do you know what? I, I, I'm terrible at pronunciation, as you, you as everyone knows. Who, who, who stars in it apart from Michael Fassbender <laughs> and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> um, I'm going to give this a go, but I don't think I'm going to get it right, and I'm probably going to get a lot of angry tweets. But um, the way I was saying it was a Chiwetel Ejiofor. I don't. That's entirely correct. That's how I'd have a go, but it's one of those names that I have to see in front of me before I can say it. Yeah. I feel terrible about that. 
Um, and yeah, I just, yeah. But anyway, um, so it's based on the uh, a, a book from the late nineteenth century, mm-hmm. and uh, is it no- Mr. Northrop is Solomon that correct? Northrop, yes, yes, yeah, Solomon Northrop. So. Um, we had Lincoln last year in terms of the big film about slavery that was meant to win all the Oscars and didn't. Um, Twelve Years a Slave, has it got a chance of some of the big prizes? I would be absolutely amazed if it's not there, honestly. Um, I, I have never, in a cinema, definitely, I've never seen a more powerful piece of cinema. Um, you know, this, this is beyond, this is, this is essential viewing for, wow. for understanding what went on in that passage of time, um, you know, in that period of human history. Because we look back at it, back at it now, in our enlightened times, and we think, well, how, how did this ever happen? You know, how did we ever treat people like this? And this really hammers home why. Um, mm. You know, there's a lot of violence. The violence has been spoken about many, many times. I know that Stephen Queen is having to defend the amount of violence the, the day that we saw it. But it really is so important to show it because otherwise you wouldn't, there would be a gap. You would think this chap, he's, you know, very educated, very well spoken, he's free man. Um, You would have a problem believing how he got himself into that situation otherwise. But, Mm. you know, so the violence is just completely, it's not pleasant to watch by any stretch of the imagination. But the violence is, is just completely essential to understand how he ends up in that situation, I think. Um, but yeah, just amazing all round. It looks beautiful. It's a beautiful period drama. Um, so, you know, you've got all the costumes and the uh, production design and everything. Um, but just the performances are outstanding. Great. Now, I know up, I know when you tweeted not long after that, you haven't seen, you, at that point, you hadn't seen any of Steve McQueen's other films. Is that still the case at the moment? It is, purely because I've been so busy since then. Yeah. But, um, yeah, hopefully this weekend. I know that Shane's on Netflix, and I, and I really want to see that. I keep meaning to get around to seeing that. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan of Shane. But my, my interest in this film is, has Steve McQueen w- moved from his kind of, his artistic, his Turner Prize winning background, uh, which is still evident in watching uh, Hunger and Shame. You've got some, uh, there's some shots which just, they are artistic rather than cinematic in a sense. Um, this film, does it feel, does it feel art- arty at times or does it actually come together? Just to, you, you watched it and didn't think it was by an artist, you thought it was potentially by just one of the great directors working at the moment. Well, I'm very familiar with Stephen Queen as an artist, actually, right. even though I've never seen any of his films. I am familiar with his with his prior work. Um, mm-hmm. And I have to say, I I mean, although I say it, it looks beautiful, and it does, um, you would not take it to be an, an arty, arthouse film. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's made, if someone said to me that someone like Spielberg had made it, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have doubted them. Um, apart from the fact that it's good ap- <laughs> <laughs> apart from oh, the fact that it's not just Danny Day-Lewis sitting around stroking his chin yeah. but um, yeah it, it's, it's very much not an art house film it is it, I think yeah I, I feel with, obviously without having prior knowledge of his of his films um, I feel as if this is the moment where it, was, it has all come together and I think you can see that in his introductions as well when, when he's talking about the film he is so proud of it and I think he feels he's done something very special, which is always always a good sign. 
Excellent. So the second film on your list, Gravity. Again, um, very excited about this. It is, it is essentially a kind of art house director stepping into... Well, it, it's a bit difficult to say that because he, he did one of the Harry yes. Potter films, didn't okay. he? Um, uh, and obviously... But it, it, he comes from not a blockbuster point of view anyway. Uh, you know, intelligent sci-fi, Children of Men, fantastic film I really enjoyed. Um, and it looks to be the intelligent sci-fi film that we have been waiting for for a long, long time. Is, is that the case? I, I think it is. I have to say, and I'm, and I'm probably going to make a few enemies here, I'm not a big fan of Children of Men, I'm afraid. It's, uh, I, I feel it's not, not as good as it could have been. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that's probably down to five o. No, I don't think that's our consequence. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I think that's a fair comment. Yes, yeah. but um, yeah, gravity was just—I um, I really didn't know what to expect because I hadn't. It kind of slipped under my radar. I know a lot of people have been saying they've been looking forward to it, but the first I saw of it was the trailer, um, mm. the one-shot trailer, and I had no idea what was going on. But I just thought, wow, this this trailer is amazing. It, it really did sort of nail the whole uh, idea of the film. Um, the beauty is, though, um, as I said in the blog, the trailer footage isn't even in the film. That that was all done specifically for that trailer. So when you're wow. I'm not going yeah. to spoil it by saying that, that something goes horribly wrong with the, with the space shuttle, uh, when it does go horribly wrong, it's all completely different to anything you've seen in any of the trailers, which I love. I, I love the fact that you haven't seen any of it. Um, but it's yeah, fantastic. It it um, has a bit of a long middle story wise, mm-hmm. but um, again, Quan's got a really good eye for a, for a, a decent a decent shot, and there are just some really beautiful moments in there, especially with the uh, with the anti gravity for, for want of a better word uh, when the gravity goes awry, mm-hmm. and people are kind of flying around space stations and things. It's, uh, it looks it does look really beautiful at times. Um, and, and also, my personal bugbear with a lot of science fiction films is the fact that they, they show sound in space, which mm. doesn't happen. And, uh, and, it, and it, oh, annoys fantastic. Me, it annoys me in, yeah. in every single film. Um, yeah. I think, the first, I think the first person to actually tackle that was Joss Whedon in Firefly. Um, mm. You know, there shouldn't be explosions in space. There's no, there's no atmosphere. And, and in this one... They, uh, it's dead on. Um, I actually read an interview with um, Commander James Hatfield, uh, uh, oh no, Chris Hatfield, sorry, um, mm. the guy who's just come back from the International Space Station, and he yeah. said it's, it's, mass- it's incredibly accurate. Um, there are a few things that you just can't do, but on the whole, it's, it's incredibly accurate. With this, the sound design is amazing, um, and again, the whole production design is wonderful as well. Oh, because I, I feel a bit guilty about calling it science fiction because it, you know, it does feel actually no, it's just a credible story of of the here and now, uh, and because it's set in space, my yeah, I, I worry a few people are going to be put off of it thinking it's all science fictiony, but it sounds actually just like it's just a story of ordinary people and something going horribly wrong. Yeah, it's just a story of circumstance, really. I mean, you know, it's, mm. it's not like Alien, where they are in space and then there are hu- humongous aliens chasing them around <laughs> and that will only happen in space. Um, obviously, the, the whole thing about space is that you've got um, a, a massive expanse of area, but mm. you can't go into it without protection because it, it will kill you. 
Um, and this was really the first film, I think, since Alien that I've seen that really captures that, the, the whole claustrophobia of actually being in this expansive space and that, that whole juxtaposition between those two. Um, but it, it's a beautiful film, um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And, and there are some parts which you may want to um, take a bottle of water or something. We actually had bottles of water in our screening, and I wondered why. And then about 25 minutes in, I realised, because I started getting motion sickness, which never happens. <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> but see it on the biggest screen you can, I think, and definitely see it in 3D, um, because I, I can imagine it losing something slightly on a smaller screen, if I'm perfectly mm. honest. Okay. Oh, no, that's great. And then on to your third film in your top three, which had completely slipped under my radar, actually. Um, and a, a bit of a... I, I hold my hand up here. I've only ever seen... Of Jim Jarmusch's films, I've only ever seen... Um, down by law that's that's the the one of his films that i've seen which is great and it means i should have watched more but um only lovers left alive explain to because i i've read your review of it but anyone who hasn't read your review probably doesn't know much about this film it's probably slipped under a lot of people's radar what's the film about um well it's about um a pair of vampires who tilda swinton who's just one of my favorite people in the world i absolutely adore her i adore most things she's in um and tom hiddleston and obviously vampires living a very, very long life. Um, they've, they've been alive for centuries and centuries and centuries. Um, and, and basically that's it, because as in many Jim Jarmusch films, not a lot actually happens. But it's entertaining enough being in these people's company that, that you kind of forgive it, really. Um, it's just very, it's very atmospheric. It's a real, it's a love letter to, to Detroit, mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam... The, the male vampire lives in Detroit and drives around at night and tells the story of how Detroit was the centre of America and then its gradual decline, obviously recently being declared bankrupt, is probably the idea of that. Um, but yeah, as in many of John's films, nothing actually happens, but you don't really mind. He's very much like uh, Sofia Coppola in that respect, I think, mm. in that there's no real... Um, breakneck plot or anything but it's just the atmosphere he creates is usually just enough to get by there is, there is kind of a plot where um, Eve uh, Tilda Swinton's character's uh, sister turns up which kind of injects a lot of humour into the situation um, but yeah apart from that it's just kind of vampires hanging out being cool and, and uh, trying to steal back the, uh, the vampire uh Vampires from Twilight, really. I think that's, and I think by and large it succeeds in that. Good, good. No, that's good. Um, now, films that maybe didn't quite pass muster. Anything that you've thought, well, I, that's one that I'd recommend people wait until it's out on Love Film or something like that. Well, I think actually by and large this year I did quite well, and I think that's borne out by the fact that the only uh, the only real miss that I saw this year was the surprise film. Um, now this is this is a regular, and I know that other festivals do it as well, um, where there's a, there's a film that's not anywhere else in the program, and you have a special uh, screening of it. You get people in to introduce it. So we had uh, Harvey Weinstein uh, turn up to introduce The Grand Master, which is uh, Wong Kar Wai's uh, story, which has been about 10 years in the making. And I understand there have actually been three films made about the same subject in that time. I know there's Ip Man, 
uh, yeah. it, it is about Itman himself. Um, and I think there have been at least two others. Um, and the story that I've heard, I didn't actually, I wasn't actually aware of this until uh, I bumped into a friend coming out of the screening um, because he's been waiting to see this. But apparently, it's been ten years in the making because uh, the ed- you know, they wanted to get the editing right, they wanted to get the choreography right, and they really should just have spent probably another ten years trying because it's it's really bad. Now the caveat here is um, there has been a lot of contra- uh, controversy because this is I think it's Hong Kong's entry into uh, into the Oscars. It's his official foreign language entry into the Oscars 2014. Um, the problem being is that the cut that people in Hong Kong and China have seen is about two and a half hours long, I think. And the version that we've got is about, I think it's about 100, I might be wrong, it might be about one hour 40 or something like that. It's basically had about 20 to 30 minutes taken out. Um, and the version that people are seeing for the Oscars is the is the short version. And that's the version that we saw. And uh, the version that people in China have seen is the longer version. So apparently, I don't know how true this is, Harvey Weinstein's taking the scissors to it, much as I understand there's been a, a problem with the um, Princess Grace of Monaco biopic as well. He's just basically right, yeah, because that's been shifted back, yeah, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so it, it's really difficult to know where the blame actually lies because I, I can't believe it was that bad um, and has been put into the Oscar race, basically. Mm. It's, it's very choppily edited. Um, and you know it's just it's just all over the place. When Harvey Weinstein came out to introduce it, he was quite defiant about the fact that it wasn't about social problems. It was just, as you said, a kick-ass martial arts film. Um, but there's only one fight in the whole film, and you just think, you know, I'm here. Okay, if I'm here to see a kick-ass martial arts film, maybe you should put more than one fight in. And then there's this kind of uh, supercut of, fight, of fights at the end, like they've forgotten. Uh, but um, it was just, it, it's really it jumps all over the place. There are, are plot threads that are discarded. There are people that pop up halfway through that, that haven't had, had much to do with the film until then and aren't really introduced. There, there's a particular part where you see a, uh, a character drinking tea, and in the next moment it's his funeral. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I refuse to believe that it was that bad <laughs> before Harvey Weinstein got his, got his hands on it. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah, he does have um, previous in that. Yeah. Set. I, I know that he fell out with Studio Ghibli over trying to cut their films for international markets. Yeah, he's got a bit of a reputation I, for it, I think. I, yeah, it, you get the sense that maybe he doesn't. He kind of underestimates uh, the audience's appetite for being able to sit through a decent film. Um, but the man's won a shed load of Oscars as well, so yeah, yeah it's difficult to argue with him. Yeah, but uh, in it certainly sounds like in this in this instance he's potentially dropped the ball. Yeah, absolutely. It's his fault. It's a real we shame. Hundred percent say it is. Okay, one other film I do just want to talk about very quickly uh, that I know you saw and is again it's something it, Owen picked it as one of his three that he was most excited for for his winter preview, and that is uh, Don John the uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt directorial debut, which I believe was. Um, did it get shown at Sundance earlier this year? I, I, I think it I think did. So. I think that's where it yeah. premiered. Um, so you got to see it, and uh, what were your thoughts? Um, I, on the whole, I did really like it. It was um, you could tell that I, I, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think he's a really smart guy. I think he's really, really clever. Um, I think his whole hit record 
project is 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 really good. It's kind of open collaboration project. It's really interesting. And it can it comes out with some good things. It comes out with some bad things. But yeah, I think it's a, the idea that counts. Um, but I I think it's really snappily directed. There's a lot of it's very kind of Edgar Wrightish in its direction. Um, so there's a lot of kind of whip pans and, and fast cuts and things like that. And there's this one particular musical cue um, when his character goes out to the club and, and, and pulls women, uh, which is just used to immense comedy effect. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I, can, I, I understand what he was trying to say. And I like the fact he didn't try and enforce the whole idea home. Uh, the, the fact is that basically he's trying... I think, I think he does get a bit muddled as well in what he's trying to say because, you know, Obviously, as, as you probably know, it's about a guy who's kind of addicted to porn, and he meets this girl, and um, and things are supposed to change for him. But um, it's just, yeah, I think it gets a little bit muddled in its message, and it's and it, by the end it's kind of saying, well, this is bad, but also this is bad too, so it's kind of justified. And uh, I, I don't really want to spoil it kind of anymore. I, I think the ending was a mm. bit a bit fantastical, but I, it's a really promising debut I have to say it's for a first time effort I think it's really really good and I would be really interested in seeing what he does in the future definitely um, probably not a very good first date film though to be perfectly honest right okay <laughs> so heads up on that one. there yeah okay no that's great well um thanks very much for joining us Carol uh really appreciate that again you can uh catch Carol's um Festival Diary at fellcritics.com and maybe um, we'll hear more of you on the podcast in future. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. So, uh, new releases in and Owen has been a busy boy. He's seen both Escape Plan and Captain Phillips. I'm going to let Owen decide which one we uh, take a look at first. Uh, okay, I'll talk about the one that I think probably most people are going to be interested in, which is the uh, film Captain Phillips, and I think we've got a clip. That's that's my line. But you, well, I was <laughs> going to say, where do I go with this now? Because if I start talking about the review, he's winging or, it. Yeah. No, here we here we go. Here's here's a clip. <laughs> but keep them away from the important things like the generator and the engine controls. Yeah, okay. Hang on. If you shut up for a minute, I can carry on. <laughs> that was a clip of Captain Philip starring Tom Hanks. Owen, what did you think of the film? Uh, yeah, that was a clip of Captain Phillips. Um... <laughs> I just said that. Yeah. Uh, what anyway, are you doing? Well, I'm just tell us what you thought of the film. Yeah. Okay. 
Right. Uh, Captain Phillips. Yeah, I went to see the preview of it last week, but I thought I'd hang on to to review it until we'd all seen it. But seeing as that's not actually happened... Um, We're such professionals. <laughs> I'm just going to talk about it anyway. Okay. So, yes. Um, what happened? We had a brief conversation about it last week, actually, uh, on the podcast, which... Um, we had a talk uh, about the, how true to the actual real life story it was, and I'd read a re- I read a report earlier in the day, um, which basically came out from an anonymous source saying that actually what happened in the film is a complete fabrication. This is just Captain Phillips turning himself into an American hero when he's actually an arrogant uh, nihilistic knobhead. So uh, how true it actually is is debatable. I think and a lot of people are saying that. Um, it's probably completely false, actually. The way that the events went down is Captain Phillips' version, the real-life Captain Phillips' version of events, uh, which seem to go against what these people who've been paid to stay quiet are actually coming out now and saying. So uh, I tried to not let that put a dampener on my um, expectations. I thought, well, I'll still go into it and treat it as a film in its own right, first of all, and then whether or not the fact that it might not be true to the real life events, I'll let that either sink in afterwards and decide whether that's going to affect my overall opinion of it or not, regardless of how true it actually is. So I managed to keep it separate, regardless of how true the story might actually be. As a thriller, it's actually a pretty decent film in its own right. I think Tom Hanks plays the titular character, uh, and puts in a very good performance. It shows a real sort of emotion at times. You really, I mean, I think he's quite a good actor anyway, Tom Hanks. I know a lot of people may get sick of him, and he seems to be just in films that do a bit of Oscar baiting every so often. But I, I still think he's pretty decent, and in this, he, he is pretty good as well, um, regardless regardless of his um, unintentionally wild array of accents that he puts across in this. He, he has some very funny um, ways of talking, shall we say. But anyway, uh, he was quite good. But as good as Hanks is, I thought the guys playing the Somali pirates that invade the ship at one point in the film and then they, they sort of become the main focus for, for the film, really. The Somali pirates in it, particularly a guy called uh, Barkhad Abdi, uh, who plays a guy called Muse. He was excellent. All of, the, all of the Somali pirates, there's four of them in total that you see in the film, they are all very good themselves. But yeah, this Abdi guy, he's just... Is fantastic for a relatively unknown guy. I think only a few years ago he was driving taxis in Hollywood. He was just a taxi driver, and now he's starring in this film alongside Tom Hanks, which is said to be one of the sort of you know most well-received films of the year. He's just he he looked very comfortable in this film. He looked like he'd been an actor all his life. You know, Um, he's got the the character that he plays. This pirate, he is a very menacing guy, okay? Don't get me wrong, he just mm. turns up on this ship and he's. you see in the trailer that he goes, look at me, look at me, I'm the captain now. And you're just saying, whoa, this guy is just, he's mean, you know? But mm. the character, when as the film goes on, it starts off quite well in that it, it shows he's got a certain amount of fragility about him. Um, he's not just this pantomime pirate who's going to play the bad guy opposite the all-American hero, Captain Phillips. He's just a really good... Uh, got a lot of depth to the character and Abdi plays him really well. I mean, astonishingly well, considering, you know, what I'm talking about in that he, he comes from a relatively unknown actor, you know? Um, so, yeah, he's he's really good. Hanks is really good. The plot itself is quite tense. 
uh, despite the fact that you do kind of know what the conclusion is going to be anyway. You, I mean, it, this isn't a spoiler. Captain Phillips doesn't die in the end, okay? He doesn't get killed by the pirates. So you kind of know what's going to happen. It doesn't take anything away from the story. But it's still shot in a very good way. I think Paul Greengrass does a very good job with the direction. He keeps every twist and turn quite fresh, and he keeps it looking quite interesting. Um, so, it, I mean, it really does get you to the edge of your seat at certain times. Um, there's a stretch of the film which is... Okay, basically, in the story, what happens when the pirates invade the ship, Hank sort of takes responsibility. Okay, Captain Phillips takes responsibility, and so through a lot of the film, the interactions that the pirates have trying to get to the rest of the crew is through him and Hank. So in, in a lot of respects, some of the scenes are quite isolated between... Um, Captain Phillips and uh, Musa, the pirate. So the way that they work together is, I mean, it's just they play off each other so well. It is, I mean, it's the, they make the film basically. The way that mm. they then they sort of bring the whole story together and set everything around their interactions and their actions, it, it holds everything together, and it, it, it's it's worth watching the film just to see these two. I think. Um, I had a slight problem with the ending, which it seems to be something that was perhaps only something that affected me. That, it, I thought after I came out of the preview screening that it was quite a bit too uh, American. Okay, well, what I mean by that is it gets a little doesn't get overly team America. You know, there's no rah rah, we're America, we're going to save the day. There's n- there's not really any of that that, that overly influences the story. It just gets quite a bit self-indulgent at times, and there's mm. a the, almost characters explicitly saying to the screen, "Isn't America great? Don't we just love America?" And you, okay, so fine. Compared to this poverty-stricken, gang-ruled Somalia, where these skinny, malnourished, you know, pirates come from, yeah, it probably is quite good. And, you know, I'm sure there are lots of good things about America. I'm not knocking it as a country, mm. but. It could have done without that, I think. It would still be a really good film without this, oh, yeah, okay, we get it, America is actually pretty good, and, yes, they're saving the day, and, although, yeah, brilliant, that's fantastic. It felt a little bit like rubbing it in, which... Yeah, that's that's the impression I'm getting from you talking about that, is, do you know what, yeah, the Somalians, they're, they're forced to do this out of desperation because they are in one of the most poverty-stricken areas of the world, and America's right, yeah, exactly. got loads of lazy, fat people who don't have to struggle to get through life yeah. that seems it seems an odd kind of especially from Paul Greengrass as well yeah. that seems quite odd because he's usually been quite straight down the line mm. with not not an anti-americanism but um uh, green zone was pretty critical of the american role in the iraq war um and obviously uh bloody sunday was very critical of the british role in the Bloody Sunday uh, massacre. So that seems quite an odd one from Paul Greenwood. Yes. Yeah. Well, there is a little bit of criticism of the way that America's defences work in the film. For example, the first time that um, Captain Phillips he spies the um, mm. pirate ship, or what he thinks is going to be a pirate ship, and he reports it. He reports it to the British Navy to start with. Right. And they go, oh, well, it's probably fishermen. And he says, no, this isn't fishing. Toodle pip, have a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, a bit later on, he speaks to the Americans and it's all like, OK, we'll send a big, massive... To the British Navy talking the same accent as the British officers in Independence Day. 
Because that's pretty much in these kind of films how all British people speak. It's not in t- no, it's not that posh. It's probably public school posh lady on the phone. Yeah. But it's not you know. There are a lot of. It's not Hugh Grant on the fair. phone basically. Yeah. Do they call them <laughs> bloody yanks at one point? <laughs> she has about two lines in the film. One is that oh. you know it's fishermen, so probably fishermen. Don't worry about it. And, and the yeah. other is bloody yanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, it it was a bit uncomfortable where where it got to the point where you think, okay, so it does feel a little bit now like they're just rubbing their nose in and saying, "See Somalia, we're so much better than you are." But as I say, the reaction for most people doesn't seem they don't seem to have picked up on that. So maybe that's just a, something I noticed and I'm wrong, you know. But anyway, that's that's the impression I got from it. Um, but mostly, it's uh, an entertaining thriller. Um, it's certainly not going to change the world. Probably won't get even any Oscar wins for anything. Um, but, you know, you so know that's, you not, that's not saying wins, it's a bad you, film. So you say Oscar wins, do you think Oscar nominations then? Well, yeah, I mean, Hanks might get a nomination for his role. I don't, I, I think he's good. Uh, he definitely doesn't put in a career best performance. He's done much better things than this. But, I mean, for example, Castaway, I quite like him in Castaway. I think that's his best role. Um, and he doesn't really get close to how good that he is in that, but he's still very good. Um, not is he is he better than his Irish gangster role in, in Cloud Atlas? Atlas. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> but he, I thought he, see, there was parts in in Cloud Atlas where I thought he was really good when he's playing the um, yeah. uh, the sort of savage guy. He's not savage, but you know what I mean. Yeah, the guy who lives in the hills. Yeah, he's great. He's that, really good um, um, in the kind of uh, the 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 very early story are uh, on the boat he's yeah scary and ma- malevolent in that he so is. no he can he can act oh yeah definitely i mean i'm not one of his um deriders i think tom hanks is a pretty good actor um but it's yeah it's not his best performance but he is good he'd probably get a nomination but not a win you know unless it's going to be a very barren year for nominations personally i i still think even though it's not come out yet and no one's reviewed it i still think idris elba will probably get nomination and a win for Mandela and th- this will be even more cynical but especially if Mandela dies before if his health deteriorates he's just got it in the bag basically I think that's a very he, cynical he, he could phone it in and it'd be fine yeah I think so um, it's just got Oscar stamp all over it I think but anyway that's just me being very cynical yeah. I'm a very cynical moaning brummy that's what I am but um <laughs> It's yeah. I mean, like I say, it's still a really good film. Maybe plays fast and loose with some of the facts, but you know, decent thriller all the same, I think. And um, I'm going to say it's worth a watch, even though it's two hours ten minutes longer, and it will probably take up your whole afternoon to go and see it or evening. But yeah, worth it, I think. Okay, Escape Plan then. Escape Plan. Escape Plan. Arnold Schwarzenegger sliced alone in a prison. Uh, Here's a clip. Ten seconds. Where's Victor Mannheim? You know, to many people, he's a hero. Nine seconds. Do you have a pencil and a piece of paper? Eight seconds. I could draw your map. You know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an artist. My God. Problem was, I had no talent. Six seconds. I tried. And I tried, and I tried. Five. Do you have dreams? Four. Who did you always want to be? 
this. Two, one. Done. Look, there. That was a clip then of Escape Plan. Owen, was this as fun as what the 80s made out it would be? <laughs> yeah, uh, isn't it weird, though, that we wait so long, like decades, to see Stallone and Schwarzenegger in a film? And then and they won't like, leave each other alone. I know, yeah, hold your hands practically nowadays. I mean, Expendables, Stick Expendables 2, Escape Plan, yeah. Um, yes, okay, first of all, right, I'll just outline the plot because it's a very simple plot and I'm not going to spend too long talking about it. Uh, Sly Stallone, he plays a guy who breaks out of prisons for a living. And he goes into... What, a criminal? <laughs> he works for a security firm. Right, OK. And he purposely... is basically <clears throat> a contractor. He's an artist. His art is to escape from prisons. And then he tells these people where they're going wrong. Um, he ends up in a very high security prison. Um, partly... he. He gets commissioned to do it, and then things sort of take a turn for the worse, and he gets kind of stuck in there, basically. And then it's all about again. Okay, so now he has to escape. Whilst he's in there, he meets a guy called Arnold Schwarzenegger, who we all know from lots of decent action films um, and politics. and comedies. Yeah, <laughs> politics. Yeah, of course. And is um, I suppose if you go far enough back from and his bodybuilding, bodybuilding work. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it basically it ends up with them paired up and they try and get out of prison. It's very hard to, to say this. It's not a fantastic film. I really, really wanted it to be a brilliant film just because it's on Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone in a film together. And that's, you know, basically the only reason that anyone would ever go and see Escape Plan. Um, I'm guessing it's okay. It's directed by a guy called uh, well, a Swedish guy, so I'm probably going to get the name wrong as I always do. Mikhail uh, Hofström, I think is how you pronounce that name. Um, I've not seen anything else of his actually, so it's hard to judge what his influence was on this or whether it was mostly from the screenplay. But it's <laughs> the, the pace of the film; it just doesn't really ever kick into any high gears. I really wanted to like it. Like I said, I really wanted to like it. It's held back from being um, a near two-hour film when the, the plot is probably something worthy of just 90 minutes. Okay? Mm. It's one of those films it drags a little bit, which, like, it, it, I, as I keep saying this, you can probably hear me straining to say all these words. It's very painful for me to admit all this. I really like both Stallone and Schwarzenegger. What was it? What I thought was brilliant about the film was the fact that the, it's those two that absolutely make it. If it was anybody else playing either of those two roles, even if it was Sylvester Stallone opposite, I don't know, Jason Momoa, or if it was Arnold Schwarzenegger opposite anybody else, any other action star that you can think of, Kurt Russell, for example, it just wouldn't work. It's the, it's the bromance between the two of them that carries this mm. film, which is great. One thing I did pick up on um, is 50 Cent it plays a character in this, Curtis Jackson. He's just a terrible actor anyway. I've only seen him in one other film, and that other film I saw him in was something called Righteous Kill. Have either of you two heard of it? or seen? I've heard of it, yeah. but I've not seen it. What happens in that is he, he's a character who um, is just playing gangster in that, I think, just owns a club. But it's a film that unites De Niro and Pacino in a film. Of course, yeah. So he's in this one, which unites Stallone and Schwarzenegger as the two Weird. characters. 
Like some kind of mascot. He's, yeah, there's something going on there with 50 Cent. Maybe he's just really into these these actors and he's just going to turn up in a film later on and it's just going to unite two other old actors who everybody loves. Maybe we'll get sort of Clint Eastwood working alongside... I don't know. Who would be great for Clint Eastwood to work alongside? I'm going to say oh, Van Damme as a default, but that's obviously... Well, that's there's no beautiful. link between them two. <laughs> but anyway, you know, no, yeah. you know, I'm going to keep an eye on that because I think there's something there, actually. Um, but also, um, the main bad guy, I've never um, really paid much attention to him in anything, but the, 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 the bully is Vinnie Jones, <laughs> and he plays Vinnie Jones in this. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I, I don't really have a problem with Vinnie Jones so much as I think in some things he's he's all right. I like him in Snatch. He's yeah. good in Snatch. Yeah, you know? yeah, he's good in Snatch. He's, he's good in Lockstock as well. Good in yeah. Lockstock. He was in some, a TV show called The Cape, playing a very uh, comic booky type villain. Yeah. Scales. <laughs> yeah, he's he's all right. He's all right in comic. He was all right in the X Men films, he's, wasn't he? As Juggernaut. Well, he was yeah. only in the one. He's all right. Just oh, was he only in, in one? Last yeah. Stand, yeah, on the Juggernaut bitch. And uh, was, yeah. Like, oh yeah, actually no, he wasn't, he wasn't that great. He wasn't very good. <laughs> he, he was yeah. getting done in sixty seconds, but he only had one line at the end. So yeah. yeah. So he basically plays Vinnie Jones, though. And okay. yeah, so uh, yeah, I don't really need to devote too much time to this. What all I'm going to say is if you. Um, are in any way a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone? They are in not tip top form, but they are very good. I'm going to say they are very good. Schwarzenegger in particular. I saw him in The Last Stand earlier this year, which mm. was his return to being a leading man in films. Mm. Um, he plays more of a support role in this, but he's he is partly the leading man, I guess. Sylvester Stallone is the main character who the whole story is built around. Um, it has a twist in it. Of course, it has a twist in it. They all always do these types of films, and I'll be honest, I didn't see the twist coming. But at the same time, it was pretty pointless twist. <laughs> Doesn't change no, anything. There's nothing in retrospect that makes you go, "Oh, I see." It was not nothing like that. It was just a, "Oh, okay, then that's fine." Um, but the plot itself is all right. Like I say, it drags on a little bit, but it's decent enough to keep you entertained for. Um, 90 minutes, if not two hours, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Bit thin, but it's decent because of those two guys. Without what's, them, it would be worse. Lots of good bants between them. There's, oh, see, I really wanted more one liners. There just wasn't yeah. enough one liners. There's a few. I'm not going to say any of them because I'll just either get them wrong yeah. or spoil it for people because there's only a handful of them anyway. There's one towards the end with uh, Schwarzenegger, which I did chuckle at. Um, <laughs> and there were a few others as well. There's not enough. Uh, talking of Arnie one-liners, yeah. slight tangent. Did you see his uh, his Reddit thread where he was on a set of a film and he got people to uh, request their favourite Arnie one-liners and he just recorded them and put them up online? <laughs> no, really? That is, is, I'll find the link for it, but it's him, like, people just, it, do it, he'll, he just did a kindergarten cop one, he did get to the <laughs> chopper, it's, he was just on set, and he had a bit of, um, he had a bit of time, and so he, he just said, okay, what are your favourite catchphrases, I'll record them and put them up onto to YouTube, so uh, I'll find that thread, uh, yeah. and I'll, I'll put it up on the Twitter, but yeah, it's, it's really nice to see Arnie just, 
just kicking back and enjoying the spoils of his career, to be honest. And who can who can argue yeah. against that? I mean, these two guys, they don't need to keep making films anymore. No. But they do. And in a way, I'm kind of glad. I didn't think... Um, yeah. Did you watch Bullet to the Head earlier in the year? I've not seen it yet, but I... I, I I've heard it's all right. It's all right. It got yeah. a bit of a kick in, in a lot of places. Yeah. But, you know, it's all right. I think Stallone, his, his career now is as, it's maybe not as at a higher peak as it was during sort of Rocky and Rambo years. But other than that, it's as good it's as it's ever Indian been. summer. People are happy to give him money to make films, which he didn't really get during the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, so he's on a bit of a comeback ever since, I think, good. 2008's Rambo. He's done quite well. Rocky Balboa was a yeah. great film. I yeah. think the Expend- and then, of course, The Expendables. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he's doing all right at the minute. Okay. Uh, James, what was the film that you watched and what did you think oh. of it? Okay, I went to see uh, The Weekend. Um, That's French for we- The Weekend. That's correct. <laughs> oh, Clever bastard. Yeah, no clip of this one. Um, you may have seen, anyone who's been to cinema recently may have seen a trailer. I don't know. The trailer kind of makes it look a little bit like... Um, I don't know, a little bit like a best exotic marigold hotel. Or you know, it's all oh, it's uh, it's some old British people going abroad and having some japes. And do you know what? Really surprised me by being a lot, lot darker and a lot more serious than I expected it to be. It's directed by Roger Mitchell, who directed Notting Hill. Um, he directed Hyde Park on Hudson earlier this year, which I quite enjoyed, but seemed to get quite a kicking from the critics to be honest um and it's uh, it's written by hanif qureshi who wrote my beautiful laundrette wrote um buddha of suburbia so you know a very very well respected writer and it stars jim broadbent and lindsay duncan as well as a, a really great cameo from jeff goldblum and it's just great to see jeff goldblum back on screen um but jim broadbent and lindsay duncan play um a couple kind of not quite at retirement age uh that kind of limbo bit where maybe you're feeling thrown onto the scrap heap a little bit before your time um jimbo bent plays a character called nick who is a university professor but university professor he in a uh, and he hates himself for in a in an ex polytechnic basically he's he feels like he's thrown his life away uh lindsay duncan plays his wife who um is a teacher and they go to paris to celebrate their um, anniversary because that was where they had their honeymoon. So they go back and a lot of things have changed and they've changed. And it's actually... Would it be trite to say this is uh, before midnight for the saga generation? I'm having that. Yeah. If no one else is having that one. Um, it, it's really interesting, actually, because it is really really heavily weighted on the shoulders of its two stars um which luckily when you've got two actors of the talent of jim broadbent and lindsay duncan the film flourishes um lindsay duncan it it has been criminally overlooked uh in film over the last 10 15 years fantastic actress and she's absolutely brilliant in this jim broadbent as well fantastic there's a real sense of pathos um a, a, a real melancholy feel to it actually about two people trying to rediscover something that maybe wasn't ever there in the first place kind of. it, it does actually it's very uncomfortable viewing at times as you are watching um not quite the same gut punching level as blue valentine but potentially watching 
uh, an entire relationship fall apart um, and knowing that there's probably not much left for either, at least in Blue Valentine, you know, that, well, yeah, they're, they're, it's bloody Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams. <laughs> they're young, attractive people. They'll find someone else, you know, uh, when they need to. This, you're thinking, oh, God, if these two actually split up, what have they got left? Their kids have moved out. Um, very, very early on, you discover that there's career problems. Yeah, God, and and so, and, and the other big thing hanging over this, and it's really dealt with in a very mature way, and something that you just don't see in mainstream films. And it's it's important. This really feels like an indie film all the way through. It isn't a British romantic comedy starring beloved stars of screen. Not at, that might be what it's being sold as. Um, and there was some in my screening. There was a few old ladies, a few rows behind me, and the uh, certificate came up and it said it was a fifteen, um, and it warned of um, uh, slight sex scene, uh, soft drug use, and uh, bad language. And I kind of literally heard one and go oh, like that as the certificate thing came. I was like, oh god! And I kind of went, oh, oh, that sounds a bit more interesting now. Excellent. Um, it's not at all. It's not at all like that. And very, very interestingly, it does spend a lot of time exploring, um, you know, sexual needs of older people and the fact that you know when we're all young and i still like to think you know i'm still not quite 34 yet you know thinking oh, well yeah this that's what young as you get older well you just don't do that anymore yeah and it's actually oh no he's this is jim broadbent here spends a lot of the film actually just trying to get some physical contact with his wife and she's pushing him off in different ways but then they explore different things and it's it's not done in a hokey way it's just a really quite sensitive exploration of that loss of intimacy uh, in a relationship where two people have been together for a very long time so it's got some great wonderful touching moments of comedy um there is a it doesn't really go for much culture clash which again is quite nice it's not like oh, look at these English people not quite getting the French thing. Um, Lindsay Duncan's character is actually pretty conversant in French, and they're actually two people just enjoying the city, which is nice. And then Jeff Goldblum turns up, uh, which is just the icing on the cake for me. He turns up as uh, an American ex-colleague of Nick, uh, of Jim Broadbent's character, who they, they studied at Cambridge together, and he has become this hugely popular author and thinker and philosopher and he's got loads of sexy french friends and stuff like that and it's it's this almost holding a mirror up to nick to say this is what you could have been if you hadn't been so lazy if you hadn't spent all your time reading books rather than actually going out and trying to grab something that you wanted so he's this um catalyst in their relationship as well um and weirdly, bits of it just felt like a, a Goddard film at times, a Jean-Luc Goddard film. And there's definitely, because it's a lot of it filmed on the streets of Paris with obviously a very small film crew, um, you get a real sense of the fact that they are trying to um, at least pay homage to uh, films like Breathless and a lot of that kind of French New Wave cinema as well. So it was actually, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a really interesting film and definitely not the type of film... I expected it to be. It's quite interesting. I had a look on um, IMDb. It's got a 6.4 rating at the moment, only from 268 users. But it's still at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I, I think it is a film that 
the critics will will enjoy. And it, I think it's a film that people who enjoy the language of cinema um, and just enjoy watching some great performances. Uh, yeah, Jim Broadbent and Leslie Duncan are absolutely fantastic in this. Um, and it's just great to see some really well-written parts for some older people that don't just go on about how they're old and they actually they are just human beings trying to enjoy their life so I, I i definitely recommend it plus it's 93 minutes and we all know how well that goes down with me so um yeah the weekend the weekend um yeah go give it a go give it a go a couple of points then on that because yeah. it seems quite interesting first <clears> of all yeah it's it's i like how you you're sort of talking about how it just treat them as just old people they're just actually just characters you know because i watched yeah uh, they just happen to be they happen to be um, getting near retirement. Yeah. That's just, that's, yeah. You know, I watched Quartet earlier in the year, and mm. that was the same, you know. It's quite, and actually brilliantly acted in many mm. respects, um, it, you know, considering it's got people like uh, Maggie Smith in it and Billy Connolly and so on, yeah. you know, that was really um, well acted. Um, also, your point about um, Jim Broadbent, because I only watched Clay Atlas the other week, mm. and he he was really good in that. I mean, yeah. we talked about Tom Hanks earlier in Cloud Atlas, and I think there were a lot of people in, in, in that film who have good characters and not so good characters that they play. Jim Broadbent, yeah. Broadbent is the only one who kind of books the trend in that he plays everyone, who every one of his yeah. characters just brilliantly, you know? Even the, the, he's a blind cellist at one point, a blind Thai cellist at one point. Even then, I was yeah, like, yeah. he's just really. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because, you know, it, there's such a it's range of characters. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah he's just fantastic. Um, I, you know, he's only ever been that guy from Only Falls and Horses for me for a while. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I really, it's not one you necessarily need to catch in the cinema. Uh, but if anyone's got free time and they want to go, go and see it. But definitely watch it at some point because it, it, there's some real masterclasses in acting. And genuinely, at some points, I would clenched fists, fist in mouth. <laughs> God, I feel really uncomfortable mm. about this. And, you know, and it actually, it gave me a, I had a physical reaction to the film. And you always know a film's doing something right or something very wrong if you have a physical reaction to it. And this was a sense where I had a very good physical reaction. Well, I didn't cry, Steve. <laughs> Don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's. Um, on to our recommendations for this week. Owen, what are you recommending people? Uh, I'm recommending a film I recommended to you and James and Jerry before. Um, Mary and Max is on TV um, this week on Thursday. At w- well, it's Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, 1.35am on Film 4, so one you'll probably have to record. Mary and Max, Australian animated well, stop-motion film. Uh, Better Guy with Asperger's. And his pen pal in Australia, who's a young girl, who's asking him all these awkward questions, and it gives him panic attacks and all sorts of problems. One of my favourite animated films, if not my favourite. So, yeah, I'm recommending that. Excellent. James? Um, I'm recommending a new film which has just appeared on... Netflix UK which I raved about earlier this year at Glasgow Film Festival and that is the final member Um, for those of you who don't remember it is a documentary about the Icelandic Penis Museum uh, and it features the curator uh, Ziggy Hartison um, looking for his he's got over I think 10,000 phalluses penises dicks (laughs) 
Willies. Uh, yeah, yeah, Willies. Um, from from different animals, um, but he hasn't got a real life human penis uh, for his collection. And basically, the story is about two men's battle to become the first uh, to donate the first penis. One is ninety three year old Pal Arison who is just this outlandish, extraordinary character who whose job is explorer. That's what he is. He's fantastic. Um, uh, but his rival is 60-year-old Tom Mitchell of the USA, um, who introduces himself saying, I'm Tom Mitchell, and I'm an American. Which, yeah, <laughs> I just loved it. Yeah. That's his job a, title, American. That's his just <laughs> American. Um, but his... He, what he thinks is his trump card is that he's willing to donate his penis while he's still alive. So what happens? Does he does he become an exhibit? Like, but they put just stick his thing for a hole so they can't see the rest of him. <laughs> no, no. By, by donate, yeah, that that's his plan. Um, and then the film just goes from there. It's such a fascinating film. I remember saying at the time, sometimes you get the idea with some documentaries. It's almost like the filmmaker just needs to turn up turn on a camera and put it on some incredible characters which I think actually does down a little bit of the hard work that goes in I think I ended my review at at Glasgow saying that actually it's a bit like the best kind of referee of a football match is the referee that you don't notice Um, and it's here but for this kind of story the best filmmaker is the filmmaker you don't notice actually putting themselves into the film that he just needs to he just lets the camera roll and puts together this incredible story. So it is a genuinely, believe it or not, quite a heartwarming film. Um, will leave you with a smile on your face, despite the fact there's a lot of time spent talking about using a scalpel to cut a penis off you. Um, and it's just a great little documentary. And I'm, I'm just going to put it out there now. Um, if I do win the quiz next week, this is the film you're both watching. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Uh, if Ziggy wants a penis for his museum so much, he should use his own. What? That's a bit harsh. Yeah, First he's already off, collected ten thousand. It's a big thing for a man to lose. Um, some he's not forcing these. These people, these people are desperate to get their penis into the museum. If I'm Ziggy, I'm like, okay, that's fair. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Enough, lads. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I am recommending not a lot again on TV this week. Um, I found so just go with um on Channel Five at five to seven on your Saturday night, Sunday night. Sorry, is Ghostbusters. Can't argue with that. Not going to go wrong. TV seems to be pretty rubbish at the moment for films. Um, or it's full of film. It's just films I haven't seen that don't look that good, or films yeah. I have seen that are terrible, <laughs> like Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, I'm never going to watch it. There's a lot of um, good TV on at the moment, though. I think. Yeah. On Netflix US, if you have access to it, the final series of uh, The Office US ha- is on there now. And after a dip in form after Steve Carell's character Michael Scott left. 
I thought the final series was was a return to form of sorts. Oh, well, I I wasn't impressed. Um, I I, thought, I loved the office. I I, I, I wasn't impressed. I, I was. I think it concluded quite nicely. The last couple of episodes, everything rounded up quite nicely. I thought it was funnier than the last couple of seasons. I think it was mostly because they stopped trying to replace Michael Scott. Yeah, and they, yeah, they, they, they for, for a couple of seasons they just tried to find the replacement character for him. <clears throat> and this time they just trying to sort well, no, we're not going to, so we'll just concentrate on the other good characters that we developed over nine years, eight years. And I thought it. We'll have to continue this conversation off air. I had some I had some issues with it, but <laughs> but but I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I watched it. I did like The Office a lot. And I've also become strangely addicted to comic book men. Which I'm sure Owen might have heard of. Uh, yes, I have heard of it. Is that the Kevin Smith one? It, yeah, it's ba- Kevin Smith's not really in it. He kind of introduces, but in, you know, but it's his comic book store in uh, New yeah. Jersey, and it's, it, it's centered thing. around yeah, uh, Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash, That's and it. it's centered around that and the people who work there and the kind of stuff people bring in to sell to them. I've got strangely addicted to it, and I'm not really like a massive comic book geek or nerd or anything but I don't know why it's quite it's the, the people in it are quite entertaining and, and some of the stuff they bring in you know get to try and buy in the in the store that's quite cool as well so I've not seen any of it but everyone says it's really interesting so I should it's, it's, on, it's on Netflix US and uh, it's not on the UK one but yeah it's basically it's the first series was just six episodes it's an AMC thing so it's quite typical for AMC to do like a six episode first series and the second one's about 16 and yeah it just basically starts off there in the little studio talking about you know introducing the show and then they'll talk about all comic book stuff and then someone will come in with some really rare comic book and try and sell it and you find out all about the comic book the characters and strangely how much some comic books are actually worth mm. because some, some of them, them are, some of them are worth a ridiculous amount of money yeah I mean, they're only worth what they'll actually sell for, though. That's the caveat with a lot of comic books. Some people try and flog them for ridiculous amounts of money, oh, yeah, and they don't sell. Even, even so, so there's this like, minimum price of some of the ones they bring in is like hundred dollars, and you think that's a comic book. Um, I think of the most expensive one I've got, I think, is probably worth about seventy quid. Mm. But that's yeah. But I, you know, but I don't. I'm not a collector. I just bought it because I wanted to read it. But anyway, that's enough about comic books. Um, yeah. And that's all for, for, for our critics this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks to everyone who contributed. We'll be back roughly the same time next week with more film-related nonsense. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Get to the chopper! And crush your enemies. See them driven before you and hear the lamentation of their women. Who is your daddy, and what does he do? I hope you leave enough room for my fist, because I'm gonna ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine! Yeah! Kid in Apocalypse Now. It's really weird watching him, because ah. he's a skinny young kid. Whereas if you watch grown. him in Mad of Steel, he's grown a bit, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah he's a, he's a <laughs> topic. in Apocalypse Now. Uh, he, uh, he changed his name a lot. He was... First credited as Lawrence Fishburne the third, or three, whichever, and then Larry Fishburne. That's, yeah, that's actually <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne three, <laughs> or I I I. Yeah, uh, and then Larry Fishburne. He he was credited for a little bit as well, oh. before settling on just Lawrence Fishburne. 
obviously that's... in the Matrix trilogy, most famously. Yes. Is is that the DVD you took inspiration from then, Steve? No, I, I could see a copy of the Matrix. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, that set up a, a winner takes all showdown. I've pulled it back from two 0 yeah. down. Oh, it crumbling under pressure. We tired. Next week. What happens if you? What happens if you two don't get it the next three weeks in a row? Do I, is it winner stays on then? Uh, yeah, but less. Have you? Have we ever not got it? I think there was one, one or two times. Yeah. 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 It's, it's quite a rarity, but keep going until we get to just the really popular films. There we. But yes, okay. oh well, that's exciting. See the quiz now. There's now there's something on riding on it. It's become a dramatic and passionate thing. Mm. <laughs> you can tell from Owen's reaction. Yeah, gutted. <laughs> I've lost it. I genuinely did a Tim, Tim Edmund fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> Just on my own in the living room. Yes, <laughs> means a lot to me. Great. Anyway, after the break, we will have what we've been watching. Okay, so what we've been watching then, a little look at the films that aren't new releases, but some of us have watched this week. Uh, Owen, why don't you kick us off? Uh, yeah, okay. I watched this week, um, well, I was basically looking around on Netflix for horror films I've not seen before, because I think it's getting closer to Halloween. There doesn't seem to be an awful lot coming out in the cinema, so I thought I'd just check out something I've not seen before. And I happened to notice that the latest Texas Chainsaw films on there, Texas Chainsaw 3D, which was um, only released in cinemas this year, actually. So, I assume you watched it in 2D, though. I only watched it in 2D, yes. Yeah. I watched it on my little <laughs> laptop um, in 2D. But it was... Okay, first of all, right, there was already been a remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out in the early 2000s, which wasn't too bad. It was pretty bad, but it wasn't the worst film I've ever seen. Um, but the original is just a fantastic horror film. I think we've talked about it quite a lot before, um, so I'm not going to go over it all going too much. But just to say, it's a really affecting, properly scary horror film, the original. The remake, okay, is a direct sequel to that original 1974 horror film. Completely ignores everything else that's been between all the sequels that have happened, all the sort of Leatherface sequels, all the remakes, including the remake and its sequel, it goes back to the fact that in 1974, there was a massacre of this family, the Sawyer family. Um, and now it's in whatever year it is, 2013, 2012, I guess. And there's this girl who's going on a road trip. Um, she was adopted and it turns out that she has inherited a house that belonged to the Sawyer family. She gets a note from her dead grandma saying that she can either keep the house and live in it, um, or she gets nothing. So she can't sell the house, she can't get rid of it, it's hers. And she decides with her group of teenage friends who are all drunk and have picked up a randomer on the way there, picked up a hitchhiker, that they decide they're going to stay in the house. And I think we all know where this is going. When it's when a, is picking up a hitchhiker ever been good in a film ever? Oh, it is the most cliched way of picking up a yeah. bad guy, isn't it? 
But from, um, from from there's something about Mary to this film, it never pans out yeah. well for anyone. To the film The Hitchhiker well, with Rutger Hauer, which is incredible. Yeah, but to the original not, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, exactly. Just really not recommended. Yeah, <laughs> so I think I can kind, I kind of forgive it that much because it's sort of, I suppose, an ode to the original mm. film where it does that, but it's still pretty lame. Um, so yeah, I mean that's basically the premise of the film. What happens from then on is we, it turns into a really typical slasher film. You've got um, bent cops, you've got uh, weird townsfolk all all hate the Sawyer family and everything to do with the Sawyer family. You've got a really stupid and obvious twist that you see coming from an absolute mile away, um, and the, some of it is just nonsensical. But she does she gets a note from a solicitor which she, which is told. To, you know, she's explicitly told this is from your grandma. Make sure you read this note. It's about the house, and you go, okay. Well, that obviously means there's something going on in the house. Presumably, Leatherface is still in the house somewhere. She obviously, being a horror film, doesn't read the note. And what happens is she inherits a house with a guy in the basement. So. <laughs> It's just the was most, he part of the survey? He's part, he, did, did some... he's part of the deeds. Yeah, she gets this guy in the basement as part of the deeds. It is just absolutely stupid. Um, the characters in it are all extremely annoying and stupid to the point that you, you're just so frustrated watching it. With horror films, okay, there's an example with um, Grave Encounters, okay, which is a famed footage horror film where people are making stupid choices, making really idiotic decisions, but you forgive them that because you realise, okay, so the point of this film isn't to just be a realistic film, it's to show, you know, the characters are doing stupid things, so something interesting actually happens, you know. But the the point of Grave Encounters is it's shot as a documentary, so if they all acted like real people, there would be no film, because they Mm. wouldn't stay in this mental asylum, they would just go, shit, that's something freaky, let's get out of here. Whereas with this, it's not. It's the, the people are genuinely being stupid so that you've got something to to, to gawp at, I suppose. There's, there's people dressed in very scantily clad clothes and they're just walking around like it's nothing. And you think, OK, so first of all, if she walked around this little hick town in America wearing practically nothing, that would raise a bit of suspicion anyway. She wouldn't probably get away with that. You know, there would be all kinds of loutish behaviour from all the folks in the town. Secondly, the, the the blokes in it are just utter knobheads. Really, oh God, I hated them all. Absolutely everything about the characters. The dialogue is atrocious in it. The only saving grace that it has is some of the gore is okay. Now, some of the, the more, some of the kills, although they're not particularly inventive, it is pretty much Leatherface being Leatherface. And, you know, Ultimately, from a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, forget how brilliant the original <coughs> film is. From all the sequels and the remake, that's basically all that, that's worth watching them for, is you watch a psychopath in a mask made from human skin going around with a chainsaw trying to kill people. And so in that respect, it kind of delivers. The story does it does kind of make sense in so much as it's following on from the events of the first film. And if you believe what happened in that, then... It, at least the very start of this film kind of makes sense in so much as it flows together quite nicely but it just gets absolutely just ridiculous the more it goes on I think there were six writers 
six, you know, three people who wrote the story, three people who sort of wrote the, the screenplay, and then you had someone else giving input as well, and it just turns it into this convoluted mess. And, yeah, so basically what it boils down to is I was a bit disappointed with it, to be honest. I wasn't expecting a lot to begin with, but I thought, you know, just a cheesy slasher film, and it'll be all right, won't it, surely? But no, it's, it's pretty terrible. Just... If you can't stand stupid American teenagers who do stupid things in a stupid slasher film, then this is just not the film for you. It is awful. Ouch. Mm, really bad. Not one to watch on Halloween. Or any time, for that matter. <laughs> and from one film never to watch again, is another film to never watch again. <coughs> Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I watched, Here we go. <laughs> I watched it on ITV this weekend in a hangover after going out for my birthday. I couldn't be, once it started, I couldn't be bothered to turn it over and I hadn't watched it as a critic and I thought it deserved that at least. It's just a big mess of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with the originals are some of the most... The, they get voted as some of the best films, and they are my favourite films. They're obviously not the best films, but they're probably some of the most fun films you'll ever watch. And, you know, the characters are generally quite good as well. In the prequels, especially this first one, it's just... There's two major things for me. The plot is pretty rubbish and around a boring subject. I mean, you look at the opening crawl from A New Hope, the first one, it's all about Death Stars and evil dark lords and princesses and space battles and you know for something that can wipe out an entire planet and phantom menace the opening crawl is about trade blockades and sexy and Mm. sanctions yeah essentially like the west wing in space yeah essentially star wars is a kids film and they've made it the most boring thing that kids aren't going to understand there's reading that there's no excitement in reading that opening crawl is there you see yeah. a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away, you see, you know, Star Wars Episode 1 of Phantom, and you think, brilliant, and you start reading, you think, bloody hell, trade blockade, mm. really? It's about shooting shit in space. It's about bad guys and swords that light up and decapitate people. It's not about trade bloody federations. And that's, that's the first major problem. The, the plot starts off on a bad note, and it's just a pretty dull subject matter for what is meant to be a fun film um and then the characters don't really get fleshed out there's some of them like obviously anakin and obi-wan kenobi who don't you don't learn anything about them during the film you're just bent to go right i know them from the original films Mm -hmm. so i know everything i need to know about them that's not true because they're obviously younger people they're on their the start of their journey to where you know where you see them in a new hope you need to learn about them you need to know how they've got to where they are what they're doing why they're doing it. and you don't you don't learn anything about them you don't learn anything about the rest of them either you don't learn anything about Qui-Gon Jinn he's in one film um I don't know if they could have kept him for more or if Liam Neeson didn't want to stay around for more than one film but anyway he is really what should be quite an interesting character because obviously he's a Jedi so obviously he's good um but from the little bits of plot that you do hear throughout the film, he's quite often at odds with the Jedi Council. So he's obviously a bit of a a bit of a rogue, renegade, whatever, a bit of, you know, kicks up a Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it's quite in, 
on the face of it. Does that make Samuel L. Jackson the angry black police chief? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it does. But, you know, it, Qui-Gon Jinn, therefore, is quite an, should be, on the face of it, quite an interesting character. You find out nothing about him other than he's a little bit difficult to people who are in a higher position. Yeah. yeah stuff like that. You, should, you should really find out more about Darth Maul, who is one of the two... There's two good things about this film, really. Darth Maul and the pod race. Everything yeah. else is, is, is crap. Um, I think that's fair enough, mm. Steve, to be honest. Yeah. I don't think anyone's no, going to argue with you. It's, um, yeah, it's really basic kind of characterization 101. But, but that's, uh, that's the worst thing. You're meant to not need... It looks like you're not meant to need any characterization of the characters who are in it from the original films because you're meant to know about them already. And the new ones don't get anything. I mean, and that that is that you know that's not just it. you don't just get that in stock. That is laziness, which you which you quite often see when people do kind of origin story films because they go well the audience are already expecting this now. You know, I I disagreed with Owen a little bit about Man of Steel earlier this year, but the again the one thing that stuck with me about that was that. You, you know what you had was they were going well. These two people, Lois and Clark, are going to end up together, and so they didn't bother to actually put them together in a proper way. And I've gone a little bit off tangent, but I think it you do unfortunately get that with studio systems. With um, with if they're in a bit of a rush and they go well, we haven't got time to. Everyone knows they get together, so let's just get them together. Or everyone knows that uh, Obi Wan Kenobi ends up looking after. Uh, young Anakin, so let's just get them together, you know. And that's that. You're right. I've never not really thought about that before, Steve. But that is a massive issue. And, the and, fans and, you should, and you know, there's also there's no. You never get a look into Darth Maul. He hardly has a line in the film. He, I know he's the he, best thing in it, he's, and, and he's really yeah. interesting. You never really get a look into his relationship with um, Darth Darth Sidious, the Emperor. You never really get a look, you know, into how those two work together. He just sort of says. Go and do this. Okay, I'll go and do this. And that—that's pretty much. That's pretty much all he says. Actually, there's one. Yeah, it's pretty much go and do this. And he goes, "Yeah, I'll go and do that." There's not many people on Tatooine. It's probably quite easy. <laughs> and, that, and that's pretty much the length of his lines. That's a great Ray Parks impression. There. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't no, Ray you're... Parks who done the voice, was it? It was. Um, oh no, it wasn't. What's his name? Was... Um, piece of thingy. With a long surname, Sarah Nefronovich. Yeah, yeah, Sarah uh, yeah. But uh, you, know, you know, I don't, I don't mind the end, the end battle, not the space battle, the battle for Naboo. I don't mind that with all the Gungans except Jar Jar. I look, the Gungans are a good idea because they're a, yeah. obviously a, yeah, in theory, the, the voice is a bit annoying, but in general, it's, it looks quite cool. They're big city underwater. And they're, they're at odds with another civilization that they live on the same planet with, but they have to. That's quite a good idea. Jar Jar's just just crap, just pointless. And then they end up. Surprised you got this far before you mentioned Jar Jar, actually. Well, it's just yeah, quite. No. It's just quite common when there's when there's new things I've noticed about how bad it is. Yeah. Um, and I just think I don't think Anakin being so young and so you know, obviously he's. Well, oh, he's an annoying dick, isn't he? Yeah. He just, Which doesn't help. But it's just sort of like. It's just unbelievable that he gets into these situations that he's in. If they'd made him a teenager or something, it would have been a lot more believable. But it's just sort of he's a he's a kid, and it's just sort of 
He's in a pod race. That's a bit unbelievable. He's in a space battle. That's pretty unbelievable. Even if he is. Yeah, but he's got the force, hasn't yeah. he? Well, yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. A character a little bit older would have been more interesting. Mm. Oh, I agree with you on that. And it's just it's just kind of the way they shoehorn it, like shoehorning in C three PO. You don't need him in the film. You don't need mm. to have made Anakin build him. You don't need him. Now R two D two has worked in in quite a good way. He's a little robot on the ship that gets shot and fixes it. He's worked in quite well. C three PO yeah. is working terribly. Oh, Darth Vader built him, but doesn't remember him. Yeah. When he comes face to face with him in the future, it's just you know. Just don't shove things in for the sake of it. C-3PO is not an important character in any film, so you don't need him there. Yeah, but then they couldn't have sold toys of him. Yeah, exactly. Make Darth Darth Maul better. You sell loads more toys of someone with a twin lightsaber than you will have a robot. It's that whole Peter K thing, though, isn't it? It's literally George Lucas going, hey, hey, remember C-3PO, hey? That's what that is, yeah. I was going to say, Steve... Has rewatching Phantom Menace as a critic, as you said, as a critic, has that made you uh, any more or less optimistic about the J.J. Abrams reboot? Or it's, it's not it's reboot. Not, is it's it? not changed my opinion because it's because it's different people involved. If it was so George think... Lucas involved, I'd probably just give up on it now. Yeah, but so you think, okay, it's, it's different people. Plus, J.J. Abrams has done relatively well with the Star Trek franchise, so you kind of think, well, he knows how you know. All right, there, there was some plot holes and silly things, especially in the second, you know, Wrath of Khan 2. Mm. But um, <laughs> no one's really come out and derided him massively for what he's done with Star Trek. So no. you kind of think, okay, if if Star Trek fans are getting on board with what he's done there, he probably won't fuck up Star Wars. I mean, all right, it might I not did be... See, the, I, I mean, I, might not I be mean, you say... The original ones, but I don't think they're going to be terrible. They're going to be enjoyable at the least. Mm, okay, fair enough. I mean, the Star Trek fans did. I did see a, a vote that said that um, Star Trek Into Darkness is the worst Star Trek film, which is quite harsh considering some of the utter shit. Yeah, that they, they were original. just. I I thought it was. I thought it wasn't great, but that's just throwing the toys. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was yeah, I, think I liked it. Agreed, I think we all agreed yeah. it was fun. There were some silly mm. bits in it, and maybe you know we shouldn't have gone we're basically recreating the Wrath of Khan for the, pretty much the second half of the film, but, you know... Yeah. It was still, it was still fun, and... Yeah. So, I mean, I, I... You know, I've said loads of times before, Star Wars isn't really a franchise that does anything for me, but I think you'd probably do okay with the, the new film, yeah. Episode 7. I, I agree with Steve in the sense that, yeah, I don't think... It, he's certainly not going to concentrate on trade blockades exactly. and things like that. It will be it will be lots of shoot shoot bang bang lens flare, uh, lens flare. Yeah, exactly. Um and yeah, I don't think he's gonna make it a terrible series of films. I just hope people's expectations are suitably lowered so that what we're hoping for is a good, fun, adventurous sci fi film and that's what we should hopefully his, his get. hardest job is going to be marrying up the old cast which it seems like he's got on board. Yeah. I mean it's, they, it seems like they've got uh, Mark Hamill, um, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford it's yeah. like they're casting for someone to play Chewie uh, yeah. you know, and, and that's good but you've got to marry that up with getting new characters in and telling a new story because having Mark Hamill 
going on massive lightsaber battles is going to look stupid. You can still have Han Solo being all grizzled in space mm. in the Millennium Falcon because he can sit behind a wheel of that. And, but, you know, you've got to yeah. you've got to get that combination right. And they've got to be secondary characters, in effect. Yeah. Um, and you can't... Yeah, no. You know, you've got... If Lando, Lando what's he going to do? If he's going to turn up, give it a read. Not just, oh, look, there's Lando who's in the old films. Give him actual reason to be there or don't have him at all. Yeah. No, no, I think that's a that's a, that's a very very fair point, Steve. Um, yeah, it it is going to be interesting. You know full well it's going to have an amazing trailer, and we're all going to go. Anyone who's a Star Wars fan is going to go, oh my god, at the trailer. But you know, mm. the 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 final film is what's going to be what we're going to need it's, to judge it on. I, I can already see an amazing trailer. It's just the thing. Um, it's just the, what they do with the plot as well. Whether they take yeah. something from this expanded universe, whether they come up with something completely original, or they just borrow a few little things. And uh, yeah, uh, I I hope that someone else. I hope they get someone in to kind of help oversee it and not just leave it up to J.J. Abrams. Mm. Let him concentrate on the film, mm. and they should get in someone a la uh, Joss Whedon, for, you know, doing what he's doing at Marvel. Um, or even, uh, you know, uh, Christopher, not saying, but, you know, how DC have got Christopher Nolan currently overseeing their universe there. I think they need to try and maybe get someone in to oversee the universe a little bit and join it all up. Who would you suggest? I said at the time they should should do everything they can to prize Joss Whedon away from... uh, uh, Marvel simply because yeah he's he's done Firefly he's got that fun sense of adventure that I I, I that's who I'd have to be honest. They'll probably but, give um, that, if they do have that kind of a job they'd probably give it to J.J. Abrams I reckon. They probably will because he has been a showrunner before. Yeah. Um, but I personally I'd like to I'd like to see him concentrate on that that one film because I don't think he's going to ha- I don't think he's going to hang around in the Star Wars universe there's, as well as that, that there's, lot, there's so much you can do with the Star Wars universe I think Disney yeah. plan to do loads with TV programs and spin off films away from the main character and there is loads you could do Sp- yeah. space is a big place <laughs> our, our very own Professor Brian Cox yeah <laughs> I, I would if I could do his kind of accent. I would repeat that in his accent. Yeah. I'm not even gonna try. Oh, shame we haven't got Jerry here. Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, James, that's enough about Star Wars. What did you watch this week? Um, yeah, this week. Um, uh, first off, following on from my recommendation last week uh, about the the new Morrissey live DVD, which I've watched and is fantastic. I did watch a short ten minute film on Vimeo called Viva Morrissey about the really bizarre. Um, uh, well, the, just this really weird thing that he's got a massive Latino fan base, and it's just talking to a load of Mexican Morrissey fans, which is just this really bizarre. It's only a very short fi- um, film. I'll stick it up on Twitter or something later, but it's a really nice little film. But um, no, last week I was away in uh, Brussels at a safer internet forum because my job, um, believe it or not, during the day is around trying to make the internet a safer place for uh, children and people and stuff like that. And so because I've been so busy. I've tried to combine my work and my hobby of fail critics. So I did watch a couple of documentaries that were around the internet, social media and things like that. Very, very quickly, I'm just going to say um, We Are Legion is a very interesting documentary about the rise of Anonymous and Lolzek um, and does provide a bit of a counterpoint to some of the arguments that were put forth in The Fifth Estate about WikiLeaks recently. So that, if you're interested in 
you know how anonymous have come to be about and a, a more balanced view of that kind of counterculture we are legion on netflix is a really good one to watch but the one i really want to talk about is catfish which i think jerry's spoken about on here before and owen you've seen it is that right i picked it as one of my favorite documentaries yeah oh there we go right that's that's a long time ago wasn't it so mm. that was that was about 60 70 episodes ago so um yeah i finally got around to watching it and obviously it's it is an in-depth look into the world of social media and anonymity online and things not necessarily being what they are now i'm not going to i'm not going to sit and ruin the film but i also i'm not going to beat around the bush about the fact that things aren't exactly as they seem because you kind of get that sense from watching the first 15 minutes of the film you go well this would be a really boring film if everything <laughs> goes down the route that we're apparently going down the idea is um there is a is it is he from new york uh the photographer uh nev i can't remember he's from new york so, or yeah. la he's very you know it's very much metropolitan anyway so he's a photographer um and he receives a painting in the post which is a painting of one of his photographs which has been in the newspaper and the painting is from an eight-year-old girl called abby and he strikes up this friendship online with this eight-year-old girl who's a very precocious painting talent and then starts talking to her mum and various uh, other members of her family and his brother uh, Ariel Shulman and his brother's friend Henry Just um, decide to make a film about his relationship uh, as you know, this online friendship he's got with Abby. Um, so the film is it's a very amateur documentary um, and what happens is they just go down this route of uh, looking at this documentary and then things start not quite making sense and there's a bit of a, a road trip and a, a journey, essentially, to find out the truth around a lot of things. Um, it's worth knowing as little about the film as possible before going into it, definitely. Um, and what I found really interesting, I was watching it and there is this, there's a section, and if I just say... The, the section with the farmhouse that's that yeah that's all i'll say and if you've not seen it i'll mean nothing to you but i was watching that and i tweeted last night while i was watching it this this actually felt like a found footage horror film that i could enjoy it was really weird at times some of the tropes and everything were just like that really impending sense of dread you get in a in a good found footage film um and then I found it really interesting because I looked up that the two directors had gone on to <laughs> direct Paranormal mm-hmm. Activity 3 and then Paranormal Activity 4, which yeah. I didn't enjoy so much. Um, but it was because one of the main controversies about Catfish is there is still a question mark over whether or not it's actually a genuine documentary or if it's a, a hoax or at least partially planned. I know Morgan Spurlock, who did... Um, fast food, no, uh, supersize me. Um, he says it's the best fake documentary he's ever seen. Um, he's not seen a few other people. England manager then. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he stole your copy, Steve. I don't know. Um, yeah, the the, the questions over it all come from the way it's shot, don't they? They say some of the way that some of the sort of things that they managed to capture just wouldn't have been able to do unless it was set up. Yeah, so you get the impression that there's... And the fact is, 
documentaries do are always through a filter and documentaries aren't completely 100% the truth and you can imagine do you know what if they did discover something and then thought I wish we'd had that on film and went back and filmed mm. it I, I don't I don't necessarily think that is against the code of ethics of documentary makers I, I, I imagine that happens probably a lot more than we would realize and in fact some of my favorite documentaries in the last few years have had more serious kind of uh, searching for Sugarman, for example left out mm. some pretty key facts in there um king of kong which i absolutely loved completely ignores that there were three other people involved in trying to get the best donkey kong score and focuses on the two people which are best for the storyline essentially um so i've got no real problem with that the the problem is is the whole thing actually just a hoax and that's like you say some of it just seems a little bit too convenient at times um but on the other hand it was a documentary I really enjoyed because it you did actually, um, if they were acting, they were very, very good actors. Mm. There's some very interesting people um, in this film. Uh, and the other great part of it is just, it's just really well structured. And it's, it's a really interesting insight into how much we overshare online and um, this the predilection of people to want to... Um, make connections online and maybe um yeah you know, maybe in, enhance things about themselves online yeah you know, it's it it is pro it's one of the first documentaries that really dug down into the social media phenomenon it's from 2010 i haven't seen any of the mtv television series i was going to mention time. yeah <laughs> crap they are, are they cr- they're not they're not very good they basically follow this each one follows the same <laughs> format and it's Somebody's um, talking to someone online. They don't think they who they say they are, and then they go and investigate and find out. Yeah, that's true. And then ask them why have you been lying? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I'll be honest, I've got no interest in any anything MTV generally broadcast. So, uh, but this film itself is it's just a really great. Well, it's quite the other really interesting thing is I'd say it's a really great low budget film, and you'd imagine, you know, it was made by these three amateurs essentially. Um, You get this feeling; loads of people know about it and everything like that. Apparently, it will never make a profit because it is subject to so many lawsuits about how um, songs used within the film aren't attributed to their creators. Oh, really? So (laughs) apparently, it has an unrecouped balance of more than eight point five million dollars. Um, because like there is there is a section of the film where there is um you know kind of music being played and it's being taken from YouTube and stuff like that and apparently so many lawsuits have hit them it's still eight and a half million dollars in in the mm. red and it's it's never likely to become profitable um but it's it's definitely a very very interesting film um and so it, it's on Netflix UK. Uh, dead easy to get hold of and if you haven't seen it yet it's one of those that I would say put it nearer the top of your pile because it's not the type of film you want someone telling you all about before you go and watch it so watch it sooner rather than later to avoid anyone spoiling it that's what the whole marketing for that film was about just yeah. don't tell anyone what it's about and then people obviously yeah. get intrigued and go oh I better watch that and then, and then exactly yeah. yeah. but it is true <laughs> the more you know about it the yeah, get which is it. also going to happen with the remake of Old Boy, which is released in a six weeks to 
yeah. two months' time. Yeah. That that again, you can just see it already. Watch this before someone tells you about it. I've already uh, had someone tell me the quite end- clever. Already had someone tell Brilliant. me the ending to Gravity, and that's not even out yet. Oh no! Yeah, I know. Gutted what, about what that. Bastards. What did you do? What did I do? I whinged about it, as every yeah. sane British person would do. I had a bit of a moan. Bastards. But um. It's not even out yet. I can't believe that. Weeks yeah. until it comes out. Who, and who told you? Name and shame them. It was on the Football 365 forum, and they had absolutely no guilt about it, but I can't remember their names. Oh. Yeah. Bunch of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Which is generally oh, a sound forum for people spreading yeah. things in spoilers, oh, no. but it's just that one film I was really annoyed about. But I'm not going to oh. tell you what it is. Good, yeah. thank you. It's, no, thank it's you nothing for... to do with um, Sandra Bullock who dies at the end and she... No, it's nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, do you know, one other thing. Um, just uh, before I go... Because I've, I've got to share this review. I got emailed a review by my brother-in-law from his girlfriend's mum who went to see Filth. And it may... Uh, it's just, it, just imagine this kind of like 60-year-old little Scottish lady. Um, she's lovely. And she went to see Filth and she emailed him. <laughs> And, and I'll, I'll read it out verbatim. I won't do the accent, though. Uh, but she said, going to see Filth was a bad idea. I wish I'd stayed at home. I've never been so embarrassed coming out of the cinema. <laughs> I felt as if I'd been watching porn or looking in the window of some lowlife. Can't believe I paid over £6 to see the bloody thing. <laughs> the only reason I went to see it was that Fred McCauley raved about it on his morning radio show. That's the last time I listened to him. Oh. That's, so there you go. So although I raved about filth, there are there are people who. It's not who, for everybody. It's not. It's not for everybody. It's yeah. not for everybody. And uh, I'll kind of talk about that in my main review later on as well. But yeah, it's um, uh, yeah that 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 made me laugh. So uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. yes, that that's me done now though. Okay, uh, so that's it for what we've been watching. Um, there's a bit now that I can't remember that James has oh, remind me to about, and then he's got to um, edit this out. So, yeah, do you know what? Maybe we won't. Maybe we just fly. Um, no, uh, coming up next, I will be talking to our um, correspondent who was down at London Film Festival, Carol Petz. Uh, she's going to be talking to me about the films she watched at London Film Festival and which one she really enjoyed. That's coming up next. James here. Uh, I'm talking to our, our newest correspondent, our, our roaming, roving reporter, Carol Petz, who was at uh, London Film Festival for us last week. Um, Carol, uh, would you like to say hello to all the people, the, the few, the handful of people listening at home? Hello, 13 people. How are you yes. today? <laughs> Stunningly accurate there. Have uh, you got access to our to our ratings um now uh, carol is on twitter as at the underscore dark phoenix and i don't know out of uh, bravado or foolishness or i don't know if you were drunk you agreed to to write our festival diary because none of us could get down to london yeah. and there you are uh, down there so carol's festival diary from the uh, london film festival is available on failcritics.com brilliant read um and it's, it's quite nice not to just have reviews of films but I, I, I like reading about festivals. Is this 
Is this your first London Film Festival for a start, Carol? No, this is my third. I have I have gradually gone to more events as as uh, my experiences have gone on. This this is the most events I've been to by far. Mm. How, how many how how many did you get to in the end? I think it ends up at eleven. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, and um, any other film festivals you've been to, or is this is this the one for you? No, this this is pretty much the only one. It, it is by far the easiest one to get to, and as a BFI member, uh, I managed to get um, priority tickets for it as well, because otherwise it's extremely difficult to get into these days. Yes, no, I, yeah, I had that experience trying to pick up a few tickets, and it was yeah foolhardy for me to even think I could pick up tickets for a film festival. It's mm-hmm. shocking. Um, so uh, you you've seen uh, you've been to about eleven events over a two week period. Then How, how's this year been a bit different from previous London Film Festivals? Um, well, last year we we had um, a new director take over last year, uh, Claire Stewart, and basically the the main differences that she brought in um, were that she made it shorter. Um, it used to be about three weeks, and now it's under two. Um, I think it works out about 10 or 11, ten or eleven days, and She's also brought in um, different strands, um, so you have kind of genres of film, so love, laugh, dare, uh, cult was another one, there were a few more, um, but also it's expanded out slightly now, whereas it used to be only West End and, and the BFI South Bank, you know, the furthest it went was south of the river. Um, this year I ended up going to Hackney, and uh, I also ended up going to Islington Screen on the Green as well, so it's kind of been expanded out as well. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah, people come and get to see a bit more of London than the inside of a, a, th- a cinema, yeah, essentially, I, which is nice. I would I would struggle to find a reason to visit Hackney otherwise, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that's understandable. So, um, you saw quite a few things. Let's start off with the good stuff, then. What What films really got you wanting to go straight out and tell people that they have to go and see them? I actually got asked for a top three the other day and I don't, and I don't yep. think it's changed from the day after the festival. I think my top film um, at the festival was quite easily 12 Years a Slave, um, okay. which was just absolutely just incredible. Um, secondly, was probably, this is quite a difficult decision, though. secondly was probably Gravity, um, mm-hmm. which was just amazing. Um Incredible use of 3D, which is one of my bugbears. I think 3D is just overused, but when it works, it's incredible. And probably my third choice was Only Lovers Left Alive, which was Jim Jarmusch's new film, which I loved. Really, mm-hmm. really had a lot more affection for it than I than I thought I would. Great, and and uh, starring Tom Hiddleston, lovely, Tilda Swinton as lovely, well. Lovely, so. Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> yeah, no, fantastic. Well, that, that's great actually, because the, your, your top two films, the two films that I've been very, very excited about uh, since they were announced, and mm-hmm. then um, when they've played a variety of films. I think uh, Gravity opened Venice, and um, Toronto hosted Twelve Years a Slave. Um, so Twelve Years a Slave, then new Steve McQueen film uh, starring. Um, do you know what? I, I, I'm terrible at pronunciation, as you, you as everyone knows. Who, who, who stars in it apart from Michael Fassbender <laughs> and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> um, I'm going to give this a go, but I don't think I'm going to get it right, and I'm probably going to get a lot of angry tweets. But um, the way I was saying it was a Chiwetel Ejiofor. I don't. That's entirely correct. That's how I'd have a go, but it's one of those names that I have to see in front of me before I can say it. Yeah. I feel terrible about that. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah. But anyway, 
Um, so it's based on the uh, uh, a book from the late 19th century, mm-hmm. and uh, is it no- Mr. Northrop is Solomon that correct? Northrop, yes. Right. Yes, Solomon Northrop. So um, we had Lincoln last year in terms of the big film about slavery that was meant to win all the Oscars and didn't. Um, Twelve Years a Slave has it got a chance of some of the big prizes? I would be absolutely amazed if it's not there. Honestly, um, I I have never. In a cinema, definitely. I've never seen a more powerful piece of cinema. Um, you know, this this is beyond entertainment. This is this is essential viewing for wow. for understanding what went on in that passage of time. Um, you know, in that period of human history, because we look back at it back at it now in our enlightened times, and we think, well, how how did this ever happen? You know, how did we ever treat people like this? And this really hammers home why. Um, mm. You know, there's a lot of violence. The violence has been spoken about many, many times. I know that Stephen Queen has had to defend the amount of violence the, the day that we saw it. But it really is so important to show it because otherwise you wouldn't... You, there would be a gap. You would think, this chap, he's, you know, very educated, very well-spoken, he's free man. Um, you would have a problem believing how he got himself into that situation otherwise. But, you know, so the violence is just completely... It's not pleasant to watch by any stretch of the imagination. But the violence is, is just completely essential to understand how he ends up in that situation, I think. Um, but, yeah, just amazing all round. It looks beautiful. It's a beautiful period drama. Um, so, you know, you've got all the costumes and the uh, production design and everything. Um, but just the performances are outstanding. Great. Now I know. Up, I know when you tweeted not long after that, you haven't seen. You, at that point, you hadn't seen any of Steve McQueen's other films. Is that still the case at the moment? It is purely because I've been so busy since then. Yeah. But um, yeah, hopefully this weekend. I know that Shame's on Netflix, and I and I really want to see that. I keep meaning to get around to seeing that. Yeah. No, I, I'm a big fan of Shame. Because, but my my interest in this film is has Steve McQueen w- moved from his kind of his artistic, his Turner Prize winning background, uh, which is still evident in watching uh, Hunger and Shame. You've got some uh, there's some shots which just, they are artistic rather than cinematic in a sense. Um, this film, does it feel does it feel art- arty at times or does it actually come together? Just to, you, you watched it and didn't think it was by an artist you thought it was potentially by just one of the great directors working at the moment. Well, I'm very familiar with Stephen Queen as an artist, actually, right. even though I've never seen any of his films. I am familiar with his with his prior work, um, mm-hmm. and I have to say, I I mean, although I say it, it looks beautiful and it does, um, you would not take it to be an, an arty art house film. Mm-hmm. It you know it's made. If someone said to me that someone like Spielberg had made it, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have doubted them. Um, apart from the fact that it's good ap- <laughs> <laughs> apart from oh, the fact that it's not just Danny Day-Lewis sitting around stroking his chin yeah. but um, yeah it, it's, it's very much not an art house film it is it, I think yeah I, I feel with, obviously without having prior knowledge of his of his films um, I feel as if this is the moment where it, was, it has all come together and I think you can see that in his introductions as well when, when he's talking about the film he is so proud of it and I think he feels he's done something very special, which is always always a good sign. Excellent. So the second film on your list, Gravity. Again, um, very excited about this. It is, 
it is essentially a kind of art house director stepping into. Well, it, it's a bit difficult to say that because he, he did one of the Harry yes. Potter films, didn't okay. he? Um, uh, and obviously, but it, it, he comes from not a blockbuster point of view anyway. Uh, you know, intelligent sci-fi, Children of Men, fantastic film I really enjoyed. Um, and it looks to be the intelligent sci-fi film that we have been waiting for for a long, long time. Is, is that the case? I, I think it is. I have to say, and I'm, and I'm probably going to make a few enemies here, I'm not a big fan of Children of Men, I'm afraid. It's, uh, I, I feel it's not, not as good as it could have been. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that's probably down to five o. No, I don't think that's our concept of all. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I think that's a fair comment. Yes, yeah. but um, yeah, Gravity was just. Um, I, I really didn't know what to expect because I hadn't. It was kind of slipped under my radar. I know a lot of people have been saying they've been looking forward to it, but the first I saw of it was the trailer, um, mm. the one-shot trailer, and I had no idea what was going on. But I just thought, wow, this this trailer is amazing. It, it really did sort of nail the whole uh, idea of the film. Um, the beauty is, though, um, as I said in the blog, the trailer footage isn't even in the film. That that was all done specifically for that trailer. So when you're wow. I'm not going yeah. to spoil it by saying this, this, something goes horribly wrong with the, with the space shuttle, uh, when it does go horribly wrong, it's all completely different to anything you've seen in any of the trailers, which I love. I, I love the fact that you haven't seen any of it. Um, but it's, yeah, fantastic. It, it um, has a bit of a lull in the middle story-wise. Mm-hmm. But, um, again, Quarren's got a really good eye for, a, for a, a decent a decent shot. And there are just some really beautiful moments in there, especially with the, uh, with the anti-gravity, for, for want of a better word, uh, when the gravity goes awry. Mm-hmm. And people are kind of flying around space stations and things. It's, uh, it looks it does look really beautiful at times. Um, and, and also, my personal bugbear with a lot of science fiction films is the fact that they, they show sound in space, which mm. doesn't happen. And, uh, and, it, and it, oh, annoys fantastic. Me, it annoys me in, yeah. in every single film. Um, yeah. I think, the first, I think the first person to actually tackle that was Joss Whedon in Firefly. Um, mm. You know, there shouldn't be explosions in space. There's no, there's no atmosphere. And, and in this one... They, uh, it's dead on. Um, I actually read an interview with um, Commander James Hatfield, uh, uh, oh no, Chris Hatfield, sorry, um, mm. the guy who's just come back from the International Space Station, and he yeah. said it's, it's, mass- it's incredibly accurate. Um, there are a few things that you just can't do, but on the whole, it's, it's incredibly accurate. With this, the sound design is amazing, um, and again, the whole production design is wonderful as well. Oh, because I, I feel a bit guilty about calling it science fiction because it, you know, it does feel actually no, it's just a credible story of of the here and now, uh, and because it's set in space, my yeah, I, I worry a few people are going to be put off of it thinking it's all science fictiony, but it sounds actually just like it's just a story of ordinary people and something going horribly wrong. Yeah, it's just a story of circumstance, really. I mean, you know, it's, mm. it's not like Alien, where they are in space and then there are hu- humongous aliens chasing them around <laughs> and that will only happen in space. Um, obviously, the, the whole thing about space is that you've got um, a, a massive expanse of area, but mm. you can't go into it without protection because it, it will kill you. Um, and this was really the first film, I think, since Alien that I've seen that really captures that, the, the whole claustrophobia of actually being in this 
expansive space and that, that whole juxtaposition between those two. Um, but it, it's a beautiful film um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And, and there are some parts which you may want to um, take a bottle of water or something. We actually had bottles of water in our screening and I wondered why. And then about 25 minutes in, I realised because I started getting motion sickness, which never happens. <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> but see it on the biggest screen you can, I think, and definitely see it in 3D, um, because I, I can imagine it losing something slightly on a smaller screen, if I'm perfectly mm. honest. Okay. Oh, no, that's great. And then on to your third film in your top three, which had completely slipped under my radar, actually. Um, and a, a bit of a... I, I hold my hand up here. I've only ever seen... Of Jim Jarmusch's films, I've only ever seen... Um, down by law that's that's the the one of his films that i've seen which is great and it means i should have watched more but um only lovers left alive explain to because i i've read your review of it but anyone who hasn't read your review probably doesn't know much about this film it's probably slipped under a lot of people's radar what's the film about um well it's about um a pair of vampires who tilda swinton who's just one of my favorite people in the world i absolutely adore her i adore most things she's in um and tom hiddleston and obviously vampires living a very, very long life. Um, they've, they've been alive for centuries and centuries and centuries. Um, and, and basically that's it, because as in many Jim Jarmusch films, not a lot actually happens. But it's entertaining enough being in these people's company that you kind of forgive it, really. Um, it's just very, it's very atmospheric. It's a real, it's a love letter to, to Detroit, mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam... The, the male vampire lives in Detroit and drives around at night and tells the story of how Detroit was the centre of America and then its gradual decline, obviously recently being declared bankrupt, is probably the idea of that. Um, but yeah, as in many of John's films, nothing actually happens, but you don't really mind. He's very much like uh, Sofia Coppola in that respect, I think, mm. in that there's no real... Um, breakneck plot or anything but it's just the atmosphere he creates is usually just enough to get by there is, there is kind of a plot where um, Eve uh, Tilda Swinton's character's uh, sister turns up which kind of injects a lot of humour into the situation um, but yeah apart from that it's just kind of vampires hanging out being cool and, and uh, trying to steal back the, uh, the vampire uh Vampires from Twilight, really. I think that's, and I think by and large it succeeds in that. Good, good. No, that's good. Um, now, films that maybe didn't quite pass muster. Anything that you've thought, well, I, that's one that I'd recommend people wait until it's out on Love Film or something like that. Well, I think actually by and large this year I did quite well, and I think that's borne out by the fact that the only uh, the only real miss that I saw this year was the surprise film. Um, now this is this is a regular, and I know that other festivals do it as well, um, where there's a, there's a film that's not anywhere else in the program, and you have a special uh, screening of it. You get people in to introduce it. So we had uh, Harvey Weinstein uh, turn up to introduce The Grand Master, which is uh, Wong Kar Wai's uh, story, which has been about 10 years in the making. And I understand there have actually been three films made about the same subject in that time. I know there's Ip Man. Uh, yeah. It is about Ip Man himself. Um, and I think there have been at least two others. 
Um, and the story that I've heard, I didn't actually, I wasn't actually aware of this until uh, I bumped into a friend coming out for screening um, because he's been waiting to see this. But apparently, it's been ten years in the making because uh, the ed you know, they wanted to get the editing right, they wanted to get the choreography right, and they really should just have spent probably another ten years trying because it's it's really bad now the caveat here is um there has been a lot of contra uh, controversy because this is i think it's hong kong's entry into uh into the oscars this is official foreign mm. language entry into the oscars 2014 um the problem being is that the cut that people in hong kong and china have seen is about two and a half hours long i think and the version that we've got is about I think it's about 100, I might be wrong, it might be about 1 hour 40 or something like that. It's basically had about 20 to 30 minutes taken out. Um, and the version that people are seeing for the Oscars is the, is the short version. And that's the version that we saw. And uh, the version that people in China have seen is the longer version. So apparently, I don't know how true this is, Harvey Weinstein's taking the scissors to it, much as I understand there's been a, a problem with the... Um, Princess Grace of Monaco biopic as well. He's just based on right, yeah, because that's been shifted back, yeah, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so it, it's really difficult to know where the blame actually lies because I, I can't believe it was that bad um, and has been put into the Oscar race, basically. Mm. It's, it's very choppily edited um, and, you know, it's just, it's just all over the place. When Harvey Weinstein came out to introduce it, he was quite defiant about the fact that it wasn't about social problems, it was just, as you said, a kick-ass martial arts film. Um, but there's only one fight in the whole film, and <laughs> you just think, you know, I'm here, okay, if I'm here to see a kick-ass martial arts film, maybe you should put more than one fight in. And then there's this kind of uh, supercut of, fight, of fights at the end, like they've forgotten. Uh, but um, it was just, it, it's really, it jumps all over the place, there are, are plot threads that are discarded, there are people that pop up halfway through that, that haven't had, had much to do with the film until then and aren't really introduced. There, there's a particular part where you see a, uh, a character drinking tea and in the next moment it's his funeral. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I refuse to believe that it was that bad before Harvey Weinstein got his, got his hands on it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah, he does have um, previous in that. Yeah. Set. I, I know that he fell out with Studio Ghibli over trying to cut their films for international markets. Yeah, he's got a bit of a reputation I, for it, I think. I, yeah, it, you get the sense that maybe he doesn't. He kind of underestimates uh, the audience's appetite for being able to sit through a decent film. Um, but the man's won a shed load of Oscars as well, so yeah, yeah it's difficult to argue with him. Yeah, but uh, in it certainly sounds like in this in this instance he's potentially dropped the ball. Yeah, absolutely. It's his fault. It's a real we shame. Hundred percent, say it is. Okay, one other film I do just want to talk about very quickly uh, that I know you saw and is again it's something. It, Owen picked it as one of his three that he was most excited for for his winter preview, and that is uh, Don John, the uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt directorial debut, which I believe was. Um, did it get shown at Sundance earlier this year? I, I think it I think did. So. I think that's where it yeah. premiered. Um, so you got to see it, and uh, what were your thoughts? Um, I, on the whole, I did really like it. It was um, you could tell that I, I, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think he's a really smart guy. I think he's really, really clever. Um, I think his whole hit record 
project is 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 really good. It's kind of open collaboration project. It's really interesting. And it can it comes out with some good things. It comes out with some bad things. But yeah, I think it's a, the idea that counts. Um, but I I think it's really snappily directed. There's a lot of it's very kind of Edgar Wrightish in its direction. Um, so there's a lot of kind of whip pans and, and fast cuts and things like that. And there's this one particular musical cue um, when his character goes out to the club and, and, and pulls women, uh, which is just used to immense comedy effect. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I, can, I, I understand what he was trying to say. And I like the fact he didn't try and enforce the whole idea home. Uh, the, the fact is that basically he's trying... I think, I think he does get a bit muddled as well in what he's trying to say because, you know, Obviously, as, as you probably know, it's about a guy who's kind of addicted to porn, and he meets this girl, and um, and things are supposed to change for him. But um, it's just, yeah, I think it gets a little bit muddled in its message, and it's and it, by the end it's kind of saying, well, this is bad, but also this is bad too, so it's kind of justified. And uh, I, I don't really want to spoil it kind of anymore. I, I think the ending was a mm. bit a bit fantastical, but I, it's a really promising debut I have to say it's for a first time effort I think it's really really good and I would be really interested in seeing what he does in the future definitely um, probably not a very good first date film though to be perfectly honest right okay <laughs> so heads up on that one there yeah <laughs> okay no that's great well um thanks very much for joining us Carol uh really appreciate that again you can uh catch Carol's um Festival Diary at fellcritics.com and maybe um, we'll hear more of you on the podcast in future. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. So, uh, new releases in and Owen has been a busy boy. He's seen both Escape Plan and Captain Phillips. I'm going to let Owen decide which one we uh, take a look at first. Uh, okay, I'll talk about the one that I think probably most people are going to be interested in, which is the uh, film Captain Phillips, and I think we've got a clip. That's that's my line. But all right. you, well, I was <laughs> going to say, where do I go with this now? Because if I start talking about the review, he's winging it. Uh, yeah. No, here we here we go. Here's here's a clip. <laughs> but keep them away from the important things like the generator and the engine controls. Yeah, okay. What's going on? Hang on. Hang on. If you shut up for a minute, I can carry on. <laughs> that was a clip of Captain Philip starring Tom Hanks. Owen, what did you think of the film? Uh, yeah, that was a clip of Captain Phillips. Um... <laughs> I just said that. Yeah. Uh, what anyway, are you doing? Well, I'm just tell us what you thought of the film. Yeah. Okay. 
Right. Uh, Captain Phillips. Yeah, I went to see the preview of it last week, but I thought I'd hang on to to review it until we'd all seen it. But seeing as that's not actually happened... Um, We're such professionals. <laughs> I'm just going to talk about it anyway. Okay. So, yes. Um, what happened? We had a brief conversation about it last week, actually, uh, on the podcast, which... Um, we had a talk uh, about the, how true to the actual real life story it was, and I'd read a re- I read a report earlier in the day, um, which basically came out from an anonymous source saying that actually what happened in the film is a complete fabrication. This is just Captain Phillips turning himself into an American hero when he's actually an arrogant uh, nihilistic knobhead. So uh, how true it actually is is debatable. I think and a lot of people are saying that. Um, it's probably completely false, actually. The way that the events went down is Captain Phillips' version, the real-life Captain Phillips' version of events, uh, which seem to go against what these people who've been paid to stay quiet are actually coming out now and saying. So uh, I tried to not let that put a dampener on my um, expectations. I thought, well, I'll still go into it and treat it as a film in its own right, first of all, and then whether or not the fact that it might not be true to the real life events, I'll let that either sink in afterwards and decide whether that's going to affect my overall opinion of it or not, regardless of how true it actually is. So I managed to keep it separate, regardless of how true the story might actually be. As a thriller, it's actually a pretty decent film in its own right. I think Tom Hanks plays the titular character, uh, and puts in a very good performance. It shows a real sort of emotion at times. You really, I mean, I think he's quite a good actor anyway, Tom Hanks. I know a lot of people may get sick of him, and he seems to be just in films that do a bit of Oscar baiting every so often. But I, I still think he's pretty decent, and in this, he, he is pretty good as well, um, regardless regardless of his um, unintentionally wild array of accents that he puts across in this. He, he has some very funny um, ways of talking, shall we say. But anyway, uh, he was quite good. But as good as Hanks is, I thought the guys playing the Somali pirates that invade the ship at one point in the film and then they, they sort of become the main focus for, for the film, really. The Somali pirates in it, particularly a guy called uh, Barkhad Abdi, uh, who plays a guy called Muse. He was excellent. All of, the, all of the Somali pirates, there's four of them in total that you see in the film, they are all very good themselves. But yeah, this Abdi guy, he's just... Is fantastic for a relatively unknown guy. I think only a few years ago he was driving taxis in Hollywood. He was just a taxi driver, and now he's starring in this film alongside Tom Hanks, which is said to be one of the sort of you know most well-received films of the year. He's just he he looked very comfortable in this film. He looked like he'd been an actor all his life. You know, Um, he's got the the character that he plays. This pirate, he is a very menacing guy, okay? Don't get me wrong, he just mm. turns up on this ship and he's. you see in the trailer that he goes, look at me, look at me, I'm the captain now. And you're just saying, whoa, this guy is just, he's mean, you know? But mm. the character, when as the film goes on, it starts off quite well in that it, it shows he's got a certain amount of fragility about him. Um, he's not just this pantomime pirate who's going to play the bad guy opposite the all-American hero, Captain Phillips. He's just a really good... Uh, got a lot of depth to the character and Abdi plays him really well. I mean, astonishingly well, considering, you know, what I'm talking about in that he, he comes from a relatively unknown actor, you know? Um, so, yeah, he's he's really good. Hanks is really good. The plot itself is quite tense. 
uh, despite the fact that you do kind of know what the conclusion is going to be anyway. You, I mean, it, this isn't a spoiler. Captain Phillips doesn't die in the end, okay? He doesn't get killed by the pirates. So you kind of know what's going to happen. It doesn't take anything away from the story. But it's still shot in a very good way. I think Paul Greengrass does a very good job with the direction. He keeps every twist and turn quite fresh, and he keeps it looking quite interesting. Um, so, it, I mean, it really does get you to the edge of your seat at certain times. Um, there's a stretch of the film which is... Okay, basically, in the story, what happens when the pirates invade the ship, Hank sort of takes responsibility. Okay, Captain Phillips takes responsibility, and so through a lot of the film, the interactions that the pirates have trying to get to the rest of the crew is through him and Hank. So in, in a lot of respects, some of the scenes are quite isolated between... Um, Captain Phillips and uh, Musa, the pirate. So the way that they work together is, I mean, it's just they play off each other so well. It is, I mean, it's the, they make the film basically. The way that mm. they then they sort of bring the whole story together and set everything around their interactions and their actions, it, it holds everything together, and it, it, it's it's worth watching the film just to see these two. I think. Um, I had a slight problem with the ending, which it seems to be something that was perhaps only something that affected me. That, it, I thought after I came out of the preview screening that it was quite a bit too uh, American. Okay, well, what I mean by that is it gets a little doesn't get overly team America. You know, there's no rah rah, we're America, we're going to save the day. There's n- there's not really any of that that, that overly influences the story. It just gets quite a bit self-indulgent at times, and there's mm. a the, almost characters explicitly saying to the screen, "Isn't America great? Don't we just love America?" And you, okay, so fine. Compared to this poverty-stricken, gang-ruled Somalia, where these skinny, malnourished, you know, pirates come from, yeah, it probably is quite good. And, you know, I'm sure there are lots of good things about America. I'm not knocking it as a country, mm. but. It could have done without that, I think. It would still be a really good film without this, oh, yeah, okay, we get it, America is actually pretty good, and, yes, they're saving the day, and, although, yeah, brilliant, that's fantastic. It felt a little bit like rubbing it in, which... Yeah, that's that's the impression I'm getting from you talking about that, is, do you know what, yeah, the Somalians, they're, they're forced to do this out of desperation because they are in one of the most poverty-stricken areas of the world, and America's right, yeah, exactly. got loads of lazy, fat people who don't have to struggle to get through life yeah. that seems it seems an odd kind of especially from Paul Greengrass as well yeah. that seems quite odd because he's usually been quite straight down the line mm. with not not an anti-americanism but um uh, green zone was pretty critical of the american role in the iraq war um and obviously uh bloody sunday was very critical of the british role in the Bloody Sunday uh, massacre. So that seems quite an odd one from Paul Greenwood. Yes. Yeah. Well, there is a little bit of criticism of the way that America's defences work in the film. For example, the first time that um, Captain Phillips he spies the um, mm. pirate ship, or what he thinks is going to be a pirate ship, and he reports it. He reports it to the British Navy to start with. Right. And they go, oh, well, it's probably fishermen. And he says, no, this isn't fishing. Toodle pip, have a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, a bit later on, he speaks to the Americans and it's all like, OK, we'll send a big, massive... To the British Navy talking the same accent as the British officers in 
Independence Day. Because that's pretty much in these kind of films how all British people speak. It's not in t- no, it's not that posh. It's probably public school posh lady on the phone. Yeah. But it's not you know. There are a lot of. It's not Hugh Grant on the fair. phone basically. Yeah. Do they call them <laughs> bloody Yanks at one point? <laughs> she has about two lines in the film. One is that oh. you know it's fishermen, so probably fishermen. Don't worry about it. And, and the yeah. other is bloody Yanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, it it was a bit uncomfortable where where it got to the point where you think, okay, so it does feel a little bit now like they're just rubbing their nose in and saying, "See Somalia, we're so much better than you are." But as I say, the reaction for most people doesn't seem they don't seem to have picked up on that. So maybe that's just a, something I noticed and I'm wrong, you know. But anyway, that's that's the impression I got from it. Um, but mostly, it's uh, an entertaining thriller. Um, it's certainly not going to change the world. Probably won't get even any Oscar wins for anything. Um, but, you know, you so know you not, that's Oscar not wins, saying it's a bad you, film. So you say Oscar wins, do you think Oscar nominations then? Well, yeah, I mean, Hanks might get a nomination for his role. I don't, I, I think he's good. Uh, he definitely doesn't put in a career best performance. He's done much better things than this. But, I mean, for example, Castaway, I quite like him in Castaway. I think that's his best role. Um, and he doesn't really get close to how good that he is in that, but he's still very good. Um, not is he is he better than his Irish gangster role in, in Cloud Atlas? Atlas. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> but he, I thought he, see, there was parts in in Cloud Atlas where I thought he was really good when he's playing the um, yeah. uh, the sort of savage guy. He's not savage, but you know what I mean. Yeah, you know, the guy who lives in the hills. Yeah, he's great. He's that, really good um, um, in the kind of uh, the. The, the very early story uh, on the boat he's yeah. scary and ma- malevolent in that he so is. no he can, he can act oh yeah definitely I mean I'm not one of his um, deriders I think Tom Hanks is a pretty good actor um, but it's yeah it's not his best performance but he is good he'll probably get a nomination but not a win you know unless it's going to be a very barren year for nominations personally I, I still think even though it's not come out yet and no one's reviewed it I still think Idris Elba will probably get nomination and a win for Mandela and th- this will be even more cynical but especially if Mandela dies before if his health deteriorates he's just got it in the bag basically I think that's very he, cynical he, he could phone it in and it'd be fine yeah I think so um, it's just got Oscar stamp all over it I think but anyway that's just me being very cynical yeah. I'm a very cynical moaning brummy that's what I am but um <laughs> It's yeah. I mean, like I say, it's still a really good film. Maybe plays fast and loose with some of the facts, but you know, decent thriller all the same, I think. And um, I'm going to say it's worth a watch, even though it's two hours ten minutes longer, and it will probably take up your whole afternoon to go and see it or evening. But yeah, worth it, I think. Okay, Escape Plan then. Escape Plan. Escape Plan. Arnold Schwarzenegger sliced alone in a prison. Uh, Here's a clip. Ten seconds. Where's Victor Mannheim? You know, to many people, he's a hero. Nine seconds. Do you have a pencil and a piece of paper? Eight seconds. I could draw your map. You know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an artist. My God. Problem was, I had no talent. Six seconds. I tried. And they tried, and they tried. Five. Do you have dreams? Four. 
Or did you always want to be this? Two, one. Done. There. That was a clip then of Escape Plan. Owen, was this as fun as what the 80s made out it would be? <laughs> yeah, uh, isn't it weird though that we wait so long, like decades, to see Stallone and Schwarzenegger in a film? And then and they like, won't leave each other alone. I know, yeah, hold your hands practically nowadays. I mean, Expendables, <laughs> Expendables 2, Escape Plan, yeah. Um, yes, okay, first of all, right, I'll just outline the plot because it's a very simple plot and I'm not going to spend too long talking about it. Uh, Sly Stallone, he plays a guy who breaks out of prisons for a living. And he goes into... What, a criminal? <laughs> he works for a security firm. Right, OK. And he purposely... is basically <clears throat> a contractor. He's an artist. His art is to escape from prisons. And then he tells these people where they're going wrong. Um, he ends up in a very high security prison. Um, partly, he... He gets commissioned to do it, and then things sort of take a turn for the worse, and he gets kind of stuck in there, basically. And then it's all about again. Okay, so now he has to escape. Whilst he's in there, he meets a guy called Arnold Schwarzenegger, who we all know from lots of decent action films um, and politics and comedies. Yeah, <laughs> politics. Yeah, of course. And is um, I suppose if you go far enough back from and his bodybuilding, bodybuilding work. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it basically it ends up with them paired up and they try and get out of prison. It's very hard to, to say this. It's not a fantastic film. I really, really wanted it to be a brilliant film just because it's on Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone in a film together. And that's, you know, basically the only reason that anyone would ever go and see Escape Plan. Um, I'm guessing it's okay. It's directed by a guy called uh, well, a Swedish guy, so I'm probably going to get the name wrong as I always do. Mikhail uh, Hofström, I think is how you pronounce that name. Um, I've not seen anything else of his actually, so it's hard to judge what his influence was on this or whether it was mostly from the screenplay. But it's <laughs> the, the pace of the film; it just doesn't really ever kick into any high gears. I really wanted to like it. Like I said, I really wanted to like it. It's held back from being um, a near two-hour film when the, the plot is probably something worthy of just 90 minutes. Okay? Mm. It's one of those films it drags a little bit, which, like, it, it, I, as I keep saying this, you can probably hear me straining to say all these words. It's very painful for me to admit all this. I really like both Stallone and Schwarzenegger. What was it? What I thought was brilliant about the film was the fact that the, it's those two that absolutely make it. If it was anybody else playing either of those two roles, even if it was Sylvester Stallone opposite, I don't know, Jason Momoa, or if it was Arnold Schwarzenegger opposite anybody else, any other action star that you can think of, Kurt Russell, for example, it just wouldn't work. It's the, it's the bromance between the two of them that carries this mm. film, which is great. One thing I did pick up on um, is 50 Cent it plays a character in this, Curtis Jackson. He's just a terrible actor anyway. I've only seen him in one other film, and that other film I saw him in was something called Righteous Kill. Have either of you two heard of it? Or seen I've it? heard of it, yeah. but I've not seen it. What happens in that is he, he's a character who um, is just playing gangster in that, I think, just owns a club. But it's a film that unites De Niro and Pacino in a film. Of course, yeah. So he's in this one, which unites Stallone and Schwarzenegger as the two Weird. characters. 
Like some kind of mascot. He's, yeah, there's something going on there with 50 Cent. Maybe he's just really into these these actors and he's just going to turn up in a film later on and it's just going to unite two other old actors who everybody loves. Maybe we'll get sort of Clint Eastwood working alongside... I don't know. Who would be great for Clint Eastwood to work alongside? I'm going to say oh, Van Damme as a default, but that's obviously... Well, that's there's no beautiful. link between them two. <laughs> but anyway, you know, no, yeah. you know, I'm going to keep an eye on that because I think there's something there, actually. Um, but also, um, the main bad guy, I've never um, really paid much attention to him in anything, but the, 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 the bully is Vinnie Jones, <laughs> and he plays Vinnie Jones in this. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I, I don't really have a problem with Vinnie Jones so much as I think in some things he's he's all right. I like him in Snatch. He's yeah. good in Snatch. Yeah, you know? yeah, he's good in Snatch. He's good, he's good in Lockstock as well. Good in yeah. Lockstock. He was in some, a TV show called The Cape, playing a very uh, comic booky type villain. Yeah. Scales. <laughs> yeah, he's he's all right. He's all right in comic. He was all right in the X Men films, wasn't he? As Juggernaut. Well, he was yeah. only in the one. He's all right. Just oh, was he only in, in one? Last yeah. Stand, yeah, on the Juggernaut bitch. And uh, was, yeah. Like, oh yeah, actually no, he wasn't. He wasn't, that great. He wasn't very good. <laughs> he, he was yeah. getting done in sixty seconds, but he only had one line at the end. So yeah. yeah. So he basically plays Vinnie Jones, though. And okay. yeah, so uh, yeah, I don't really need to devote too much time to this. What all I'm going to say is if you. Um, are in any way a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone? They are in not tip top form, but they are very good. I'm going to say they are very good. Schwarzenegger in particular. I saw him in The Last Stand earlier this year, which mm. was his return to being a leading man in films. Mm. Um, he plays more of a support role in this, but he's he is partly the leading man, I guess. Sylvester Stallone is the main character who the whole story is built around. Um, it has a twist in it. Of course, it has a twist in it. They all always do these types of films, and I'll be honest, I didn't see the twist coming. But at the same time, it was pretty pointless twist. <laughs> Doesn't change no, anything. There's nothing in retrospect that makes you go, "Oh, I see." It was not nothing like that. It was just a, "Oh, okay, then that's fine." Um, but the plot itself is all right. Like I say, it drags on a little bit, but it's decent enough to keep you entertained for. Um, 90 minutes, if not two hours, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Bit thin, but it's decent because of those two guys. Without what, them, it would be worse. Lots of good bants between them. There's, oh, see, I really wanted more one liners. There just wasn't yeah. enough one liners. There's a few. I'm not going to say any of them because I'll just either get them wrong yeah. or spoil it for people because there's only a handful of them anyway. There's one towards the end with uh, Schwarzenegger, which I did chuckle at. Um, <laughs> and there were a few others as well. There's not enough. Uh, talking of Arnie one-liners, yeah. slight tangent. Did you see his uh, his Reddit thread where he was on a set of a film and he got people to uh, request their favourite Arnie one-liners and he just recorded them and put them up online? <laughs> no, really? That is a, it's, I'll, I'll find the link for it. But it's him, like people just it, do it. He'll, he just did a kindergarten cop one. He did get to the <laughs> chopper. Just, he was just on set and he had a bit of um, he had a bit of time, and so he, he just said, "Okay, what are your favourite catchphrases? I'll record them and put them up onto to YouTube." So uh, I'll find that thread uh, yeah. and I'll, I'll put it up on the Twitter. But yeah, it's it's really nice to see Arnie just 
just kicking back and enjoying the spoils of his career, to be honest. And who can who can argue yeah. against that? I mean, these two guys, they don't need to keep making films anymore. No. But they do. And in a way, I'm kind of glad. I didn't think... Um, yeah. Did you watch Bullet to the Head earlier in the year? I've not seen it yet, but I... I, I I've heard it's all right. It's all right. It got yeah a bit of a kick in in a lot of places. Yeah. But, you know, it's all right. I think Stallone, his, his career now is as, it's maybe not as at a higher peak as it was during sort of Rocky and Rambo years. But other than that, it's as good it's as it's ever an Indian been. summer. People are happy to give him money to make films, which he didn't really get during the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, so he's on a bit of a comeback ever since, I think, good. 2008's Rambo. He's done quite well. Rocky Balboa was a yeah. great film. I yeah. think the Expendables. And then, of course, The Expendables, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he's doing all right at the minute. Okay. Uh, James, what was the film that you watched and what did you think oh. of it? Okay, I went to see uh, Le Weekend. Um, That's French for we- The Weekend. That's correct. <laughs> oh, Clever bastard. Yeah, no clip of this one. Um, you may have seen, anyone who's been to cinema recently may have seen a trailer, I don't know. The trailer kind of makes it look a little bit like... Um, I don't know, a little bit like a best exotic marigold hotel. Or you know, it's all it's uh, it's some old British people going abroad and having some japes. And do you know what? Really surprised me by being a lot lot darker and a lot more serious than I expected it to be. It's directed by Roger Mitchell, who directed Notting Hill. Um, he directed Hyde Park on Hudson earlier this year, which I quite enjoyed, but seemed to get quite a kicking from the critics to be honest um and it's uh, it's written by hanif qureshi who wrote my beautiful laundrette wrote um buddha of suburbia so you know a very very well respected writer and it stars jim broadbent and lindsay duncan as well as a, a really great cameo from jeff goldblum and it's just great to see jeff goldblum back on screen um but jim broadbent and lindsay duncan play um a couple kind of not quite at retirement age uh at that kind of limbo bit where maybe you're feeling thrown onto the scrap heap a little bit before your time um jimbo bent plays a character called nick who is a university professor but university professor he in a uh, and he hates himself for in a in an ex polytechnic basically he's he feels like he's thrown his life away uh lindsay duncan plays his wife who um is a teacher and they go to paris to celebrate their um, anniversary because that was where they had their honeymoon. So they go back and a lot of things have changed and they've changed. And it's actually... Would it be trite to say this is uh, before midnight for the saga generation? I'm having that. Yeah. If no one else is having that one. Um, it, it's really interesting, actually, because it is really really heavily weighted on the shoulders of its two stars um which luckily when you've got two actors of the talent of jim broadbent and lindsay duncan the film flourishes um lindsay duncan it it has been criminally overlooked uh in film over the last 10 15 years fantastic actress and she's absolutely brilliant in this jim broadbent as well fantastic there's a real sense of pathos um a, a, a real melancholy feel to it actually about two people trying to rediscover something that maybe wasn't ever there in the first place kind of it, it it does actually it's very uncomfortable viewing at times as you are watching um not quite the same gut punching level as blue valentine but potentially watching 
uh, an entire relationship fall apart um, and knowing that there's probably not much left for either, at least in Blue Valentine, you know, that, well, yeah, they're, they're, it's bloody Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams. <laughs> they're young, attractive people. They'll find someone else, you know, uh, when they need to. This, you're thinking, oh, God, if these two actually split up, what have they got left? Their kids have moved out. Um, very, very early on, you discover that there's career problems. Yeah, God, and and so, and, and the other big thing hanging over this, and it's really dealt with in a very mature way and something that you just don't see in mainstream films and it's it's important this really feels like an indie film all the way through it isn't a british romantic comedy starring beloved stars of screen it's not that might be what it's being sold as um and there was some in my screening there was a few old ladies the few rows behind me and the uh, certificate came up and it said it was a 15 um, and it warned of um, uh, slight sex scene, uh, soft drug re- use, and uh, bad language. And I kind of literally heard one and go, oh, like that, as the certificate thing came I was like, oh, God. And I kind of went, oh, oh, that sounds a bit more interesting now. Excellent. Um, it's not at all, it's not at all like that. And very, very interestingly, it does spend a lot of time exploring. Um, you know, sexual needs of older people and the fact that, you know, when we're all young and I still like to think, you know, I'm still not quite 34 yet, you know, thinking, oh, well, yeah, this that's what young, as you get older, well, you just don't do that anymore. Yeah, and it's actually, oh, no, he's, this is Jim Broadbent here, spends a lot of the film actually just trying to get some physical contact with his wife and she's pushing him off in different ways, but then they explore different things. And it's it's not done in a hokey way. It's just a really quite sensitive exploration of that loss of intimacy uh, in a relationship where two people have been together for a very long time. So it's got some great, wonderful, touching moments of comedy. Um, there is a... It doesn't really go for much culture clash, which, again, is quite nice. It's not like, oh, look at these... English people not quite getting the French thing. Um, Lindsay Duncan's character is actually pretty conversant in French, and they're actually two people just enjoying the city, which is nice. And then Jeff Goldblum turns up, uh, which is just the icing on the cake for me. He turns up as uh, an American ex-colleague of Nick, uh, of Jim Broadbent's character, who they, they studied at Cambridge together, and he has become this hugely popular author and thinker and philosopher and he's got loads of sexy french friends and stuff like that and it's it's this almost holding a mirror up to nick to say this is what you could have been if you hadn't been so lazy (laughs) if you hadn't spent all your time reading books rather than actually going out and trying to grab something that you wanted so he's this um catalyst in their relationship as well um and weirdly, bits of it just felt like a, a Goddard film at times, a Jean-Luc Goddard film. And there's definitely, because it's a lot of it filmed on the streets of Paris with obviously a very small film crew, um, you get a real sense of the fact that they are trying to um, at least pay homage to uh, films like Breathless and a lot of that kind of French New Wave cinema as well. So it was actually, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a really interesting film and definitely not the type of film... I expected it to be. It's quite interesting. I had a look on um, IMDb. It's got a 6.4 rating at the moment, only from 268 users. But it's still at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I I think it is a film that 
the critics will will enjoy. And it, I think it's a film that people who enjoy the language of cinema um, and just enjoy watching some great performances. Uh, yeah, Jim Broadbent and Leslie Duncan are absolutely fantastic in this. Um, and it's just great to see some really well-written parts for some older people that don't just go on about how they're old and they actually they are just human beings trying to enjoy their life so I, I i definitely recommend it plus it's 93 minutes and we all know how well that goes down with me so um yeah the weekend the weekend um yeah go give it a go give it a go a couple of points then on that because yeah. it seems quite interesting first <clears> of all yeah it's it's i like how you you're sort of talking about how it just treat them as just old people they're just actually just characters you know because i watched yeah uh, they just happen to be they happen to be um, getting near retirement. Yeah. That's just, that's, yeah. You know, I watched Quartet earlier in the year and mm. that was the same, you know, it's quite, and actually brilliantly acted in many mm. respects, um, it, you know, considering it's got people like uh, Maggie Smith in it and Billy Connolly and so on, yeah. you know, that was really um, well acted. Um, also, your point about um, Jim Broadbent, because he, because I only watched Clay Atlas the other week mm. and he, he was really good in that. I mean, yeah. we talked about Tom Hanks earlier in Cloud Atlas, and I think there were a lot of people in, in, in that film who have good characters and not so good characters that they play. Jim Broadbent, yeah. Broadbent is the only one who kind of books the trend in that he plays everyone, who every one of his yeah. characters just brilliantly, you know? Even the, the, he's a blind cellist at one point, a blind Thai cellist at one point. Even then, I was yeah, like, yeah. he's just really. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because, you know, it, there's such a it's range of characters. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah he's just fantastic. Um, I, you know, he's only ever been that guy from Only Falls and Horses for me for a while. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I really, it's not one you necessarily need to catch in the cinema. Uh, but if anyone's got free time and they want to go, go and see it. But definitely watch it at some point because it, it, there's some real masterclasses in acting. And genuinely, at some points, I would clenched fists, fist in mouth. <laughs> God, I feel really uncomfortable mm. about this. And, you know, and it actually, it gave me a, I had a physical reaction to the film. And you always know a film's doing something right or something very wrong if you have a physical reaction to it. And this was a sense where I had a very good physical reaction. Well, I didn't cry, Steve. <laughs> Don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's. Um, on to our recommendations for this week. Owen, what are you recommending people? Uh, I'm recommending a film I recommended to you and James and Jerry before. Um, Mary and Max is on TV um, this week on Thursday. At w- well, it's Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, 1.35am on Film 4, so when you'll probably have to record. Mary and Max, Australian animated, well, stop motion film. Uh, Better Guy with Asperger's. And his pen pal in Australia, who's a young girl, who's asking him all these awkward questions, and it gives him panic attacks and all sorts of problems. One of my favourite animated films, if not my favourite. So, yeah, I'm recommending that. Excellent. James? Um, I'm recommending a new film which has just appeared on... Netflix UK which I raved about earlier this year at Glasgow Film Festival and that is the final member Um, for those of you who don't remember it is a documentary about the Icelandic Penis Museum uh, and it features the curator uh, Ziggy Hartison um, looking for his he's got over I think 10,000 phalluses penises dicks (laughs) 
Willies. Uh, yeah, yeah, Willies. Um, from from different animals. Um, but he hasn't got a real life human penis uh, for his collection. And basically, the story is about two men's battle to become the first uh, to donate the first penis. One is ninety three year old Pal Arison who is just this outlandish, extraordinary character who whose job is explorer. That's what he is. He's fantastic. Um, uh, but his rival is 60-year-old Tom Mitchell of the USA, um, who introduces himself saying, I'm Tom Mitchell, and I'm an American. Which, yeah, <laughs> I just loved it. Yeah. That's his job a, title, American. That's his just <laughs> American. Um, but his... He, what he thinks is his trump card is that he's willing to donate his penis while he's still alive. So what happens? Does he does, does he become an exhibit? Like, but they put just stick his thing for a hole so they can't see the rest of him. <laughs> no, no. By, by donate, yeah, that that's his plan. Um, and then the film just goes from there. It's such a fascinating film. I remember saying at the time, sometimes you get the idea with some documentaries. It's almost like the filmmaker just needs to turn up turn on a camera and put it on some incredible characters which I think actually does down a little bit of the hard work that goes in I think I ended my review at at Glasgow saying that actually it's a bit like the best kind of referee of a football match is the referee that you don't notice Um, and it's here but for this kind of story the best filmmaker is the filmmaker you don't notice actually putting themselves into the film that he just needs to he just lets the camera roll and puts together this incredible story. So it is a genuinely, believe it or not, quite a heartwarming film. Um, will leave you with a smile on your face, despite the fact there's a lot of time spent talking about using a scalpel to cut a penis off you. Um, and it's just a great little documentary. And I'm, I'm just going to put it out there now. Um, if I do win the quiz next week, this is the film you're both watching. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Uh, if Ziggy wants a penis for his museum so much, he should use his own. What? That's a bit harsh. Yeah, he's already what? collected ten thousand. It's a big thing for a man to lose. Um, some he's not forcing these. But these people, these people are desperate to get their penis into the museum. If I'm Ziggy, I'm like, okay, that's fair enough, lads. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I am recommending not a lot again on TV this week. Um, I found so just go with. Um, on Channel 5 at 5 to 7 on your Saturday night, Sunday night, sorry, is Ghostbusters. Can't argue not with that. not going to go wrong. No. TV seems to be pretty rubbish at the moment for films. Um, or it's full of film. It's just films I haven't seen that don't look that good, or films yeah. I have seen that are terrible. <laughs> like Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, I'm never going to watch it. <laughs> There's a lot of um, good TV on at the moment, though, I think. Yeah. You know, what, um, on Netflix, and... on on Netflix US, if you have access to it, the final series of uh, the Office US ha- is on there now. And after a dip in form after Steve Carell's character Michael Scott left, I thought the final series was was a return to form of sorts. Oh, well, I, I wasn't impressed. Um, I, I, thought, I loved the Office. I, 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 I wasn't impressed. I, I was. I think it concluded quite nicely. The last couple of episodes, everything rounded up quite nicely. I thought. It was funny in the last couple of seasons. I think it was mostly because they stopped trying to replace Michael Scott. Yeah, and they, yeah, they, I get they, that. They, for, for a couple of seasons, they just tried to find a replacement character for him. <clears throat> and this time, they just trying to sort of, we're not going to, so we'll just concentrate on the other good characters that we've developed over nine years, eight years. And I thought it. We'll have to continue this conversation off air. I had some, I had some issues with it, but. <laughs> 
But but I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I watched it. I did like The Office a lot. And I've also become strangely addicted to comic book men, which I'm sure Owen might have heard of. Uh, yes, I have heard of it. Is that the Kevin Smith one? It, yeah, it's but Kevin Smith's not really in it. He kind of introduces, but and you know, but it's his comic book store in uh, New yeah. Jersey, and it's it, it centered thing. around yeah, uh, Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash. And it's centered around that and the people who work there and the kind of stuff people bring in to sell to them. I've got strangely addicted to it. And I'm not really like a massive comic book geek or nerd or anything, but I don't know why. It's quite, it's, the, the people in it are quite entertaining and, and some of the stuff they bring in, you know, get to try and buy in the, in the store that's quite cool as well. So. Mm. I've not seen any of it, but everyone says it's really interesting, so I should it's, it's on It's on Netflix US, and uh, it's not on the UK one. But yeah, it's basically, it's the first series was just six episodes, it's an AMC thing, so it's quite typical for AMC to do like a six episode first series, and the second one's about 16. And yeah, it just basically starts off there in a the little studio, talking about, you know, introducing the show, and then they'll talk about all comic book stuff, and then someone will come in with some really rare comic book and try and sell it and you find out all about the comic book, the characters and strangely how much some comic books are actually worth. Mm. Because some, some, of them them are, some of them are worth a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. I mean, they're only worth what they'll actually sell for. Though. That's the caveat with a lot of comic books. Some people try and flog them for ridiculous amounts of money oh, yeah, and they but don't sell. Even, even so, so, there's a like, minimum price of some of the ones they bring in is like $100. And you think, that's a real comic book. Um, I think of the most expensive one I've got, I think, is probably worth about 70 quid. Mm. But that's, yeah. But, I, you know, I don't, I'm not a collector. I just bought it because I wanted to read it. But anyway, that's enough about comic books. Um, yeah. And that's all for for Fairway Critics this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks to everyone who contributed. We'll be back roughly the same time next week with more film-related nonsense. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Get to the chopper! Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of their women. Who is your daddy, and what does he do? I hope you leave enough room for my fist, because I'm gonna ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine! Yeah!